Bienvenue, Konnichiwa, Ni Hao, Jambo, Marhaba. Welcome to the Armist Inquisition, episode 194. Sunday the 8th of August, uh, I'm Armish Phil and I met up with Mark Steves from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy this week. And uh, we had a lot, of, a little chat about all sorts of things, synchro mystic experiments and uh, lots of interesting stuff you'll find interesting. I got rather drunk and... Uh, Influenced by substances. <laughs> and uh, I, I messed up with the time zone, so I ended up having to record with Mark after Matt had gone home. So we recorded everything backwards. So you'll hear from uh, Mark and myself for a bit, for an hour, and then uh, I'll put in uh, the topical stuff that me and Matt did, the housekeeping and the, uh, the Rona news and uh, all the rest of it. Okay. Right, enjoy. See you next week. Draw! We're going, Mark. Praise Jabalon. Right on. That's one of our catchphrases, praise Jabalon. Did you, have you ever come across that, that phrase in your uh, research, Jabalon? No, tell me about it. It's like uh, something to do with like the Freemasonry triple godhead. Mm. So Jar being uh, Yahweh and Bull being Baal and On being Osiris from ancient Egypt. And apparently this is some uh, secretive word that they use, Jar Bulon. But I just found it funny and put it on a (laughs) T-shirt. Yeah. No, the person I just brought up, Michael Wan, he just did a presentation on Baal. And, uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting character. Personally, I think, uh, you know, sometimes people go too far when they do this research. They get a little scared and think, like, the whole world's falling on their head uh, and make a lot of those connections where they aren't. But with the right discernment, you find that uh, more often than not, there's no such thing as a coincidence, you know. And, and yeah, Jabalon, Babylon, you know. <laughs> And the Tower of Babel, you know, and what does it sound like when someone's not making sense? They're babbling, 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 you know, and the Tower of Babylon was kind of like this moment where humanity got divided into all these different tongues. And from then we became, you know, uncooperative with one another. And I think that's where we're heading now is like the mending of that division that was created, you know, like the Piscean age that we're leaving is all about division and now we're heading into this aquarian age i think they want to use english as the you know global language it's pretty obvious i didn't come up with that thought but you know it's it's a it's curious because it's a mix of irish it's a mix of uh german it's a mix of french you know it's sort of a mix of different languages english and um 
And it's just curious how, you know, this language and then I think Ethiopian are like the two languages that they're teaching to this AI computer, right? <laughs> right. Um, have you heard anything about this, this AI <laughs> computer that they're trying to build? No. What's this? So, yeah, I was listening to the higher side chats and I believe Allison McDowell was talking about this and how this AI computer that they want everybody generated into it is learning two language two languages first which is the English and Ethiopian and I just thought that was so strange considering you know Ethiopia is apparently the place where the ark of the covenant was left and they're one of the only uh countries in Africa that was never colonized, you know, even though the Italians tried to colonize them, they successfully fought them off. But it's almost like, you know, the world leaders, the global world leaders want to like either shove one at them for that, for never, you know, bowing down by kind of pushing them into this globalism thing in that way. Or maybe it connects, you know, because we have this uh, place, the, the, Horn of Africa, mm. the Strait of uh, what is it? That sea is it the Red Sea or the Dead Sea? You know, from my perspective, it's they're kind of the same thing. But the Red Sea, right, is where Israel and Egypt, like they run along that, and then that goes down, yeah, uh, like the Gulf there. Gulf of and, Arabia is on the other side, yes. the Tigris and the Euphrates, yeah. So there's something about this region of the world, you know? Yeah, well, and, well, crossing the Red Sea goes back to right. the book again, doesn't it? Although some guys say it's the Reed Sea and that it's a mistranslation and what they meant to say was they were crossing the Reed Sea. But there is something about, you're right, there's something about this geographic area, isn't there, that seems special. And it's, and, and it's, it's the river, right? This Tiger and Euphrates River was said to be, you know, the fertile crescent, you know, the the place where humanity was born. But when we get into the prophecies and the teachings of Edgar Sacy, and then you go even further back and you see Plato and all these Greek guys are writing about Atlantis and, you know, with such detail. And then we actually find these megalithic structures that sort of match up to the Atlantean story. Yeah. To me, I think there might even be something older, right? And this isn't, again, my thought, original thought. This is just based on the research and this being the sponge of all these different podcasts. Things work in a sort of reflective way, in a microcosm, macrocosm way. And just like the Tigers, at Tigris and Euphrates River create this sort of like fertile zone where humanity was supposedly like born, Right over here in America, there's a very ancient old river called the Susquehanna River, and it becomes the Chesapeake Bay, which is where Washington, D.C. is. It's where the first computer was ever built. It was where some of the first work with electricity ever happened. Mm -hmm. So this is a very interesting place, but it's also strange because the Susquehanna people and the Susquehanna, the word Susquehanna, actually has more roots in Gaelic language, Irish language. <laughs> back to the connection that I just, you know, where English is kind of like this mix of Irish and German, but we also have this strange history of Ireland where 
were the people in Ireland totally living just on that one little part? I don't believe so. I think there was a time when either the ocean was much lower, there was more land to traverse, or they just were very skilled at seafaring and they were able to go off and find new land and they never wrote back, you know, they didn't send letters back. So it's like if Irish people left and went to America and made a little civilization, you know, how would we have known, you know, it would have been fairly remote and then they could have just blended right in when the rest of the Europeans came and started building these colonies, you know, and, and maybe even that's a part of what these Tartarian researchers are thinking about when they talk about how, uh, how it's sort of like, rewriting history this place was not what it was and then these people come in and they say oh yeah no 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 these are our buildings they weren't here before and they rewrite the books and make it seem like you know all these old looking buildings are actually built by colonists but you go back and you read the colonists reports of what they had and the provisions they had and it doesn't always add up it's like okay you're telling me they were able to quarry these big, huge pieces of stone to build these like old town halls and libraries and these things that just look Roman or totally ancient. Like there's these libraries that are very common on the East Coast, with right. like bright, bright red stone, orange stone. And I could just be a complete novice and like some guy who's an expert in archaeology and geology and architecture could come and be like, dude, you're an idiot. There's an explanation for that. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is from my perspective, from the story of my life, there's something mysterious about that. And I think as it connects to what you asked me about before we started recording, the synchromistic experiment and the ever-expanding now is like your moment, the moment you're in, the things that come to your awareness are important and valuable and they align with your purpose. And for me, that purpose is sort of like going into these mysteries and looking this stuff up, you know, and, and I chose that. I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. And more things started presenting themselves, right? So it's kind of where I'm at now is like, how do we play with these synchronicities in a way that's proactive and gets us to this kind of law of attraction place where we're actually manifesting our future, you know, and our destiny. And I mean, the signs, the symbols, the synchronicities, they start to increase in their volume as you expand your awareness you know, so. That's something uh, you mentioned pulling on a thread, and that's something I noticed when I started getting into esoteric subjects. And that you'll read a book, and then you'll read, uh, you know, three books further down the line, and you'll remember something from the first book, and you'll recognise a connection there, and you feel as you as you go into more of these subjects that you are pulling on a thread, and uh, more things start becoming revealed to you and you start drawing connections where previously you wouldn't have even bothered to look and so you can end up reading books on very different topics whether it be like gematria or sacred geometry or the tarot or oh astrology ancient history and you still you can still pick out these certain accents and uh, threads that run between these subjects and it does give you like a mystical feeling you think whoa this is some this is beyond a coincidence there's something here there's something that needs more investigation and you feel like you're just starting to 
It's like a Christmas day and you get that present and you just peel off a tiny corner of the wrapping, if you can see what it is. And you just feel like you're pulling more and more threads and, you know, it, it fills you with intrigue and then you feel like, you know, am I going to find something not just meaningful but life-changing? Is there some sort of greater truth to be discovered that are sort of prosaic explanations for everything you know, are even beginning to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it almost seems like a form of madness to somebody <laughs> who's not in this. It becomes like, an obsession. Curiosity. Yeah. Well, and, but that's the thing is like, you have to be present, you know, I think being present is what I found is the most important thing because sometimes the synchronicities, they're pointing you towards things that you're avoiding in your life, maybe, or things that need more attention. Um, but yeah, it, it does kind of seem like a form of madness to people who might not be in, in the sphere. Like, you know, how do those things connect? You know, you imagine like the red strings on the wall, all strung up over a map, like <laughs> making all these connections, but really it's, it's something to to participate in before you can fully understand, you know, and and that's why I bring it back to purpose because from my perspective, it seems like I've always had the intention of giving back to the world somehow. I've always been curious in a deeper meaning, you know, and when I look into my astrological chart, it sort of backs that up, you know, which is always cool. I encourage people to to look into that for themselves because I'm not an expert. I'm only beginning to, like, figure that out about myself. But I think purpose is really important. And some people's purposes might be a lot less complex than that. Like, some people aren't here to go and solve a bunch of mysteries. But if you're listening to something like this, the Amish Inquisition, I would imagine that you're interested in mysteries. And that's kind of like to bring it back to podcasting, why I love podcasting so much, because it's kind of like synchronicity fuel, because all these podcasts are just <laughs> waiting out there for you to find. And, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of podcasts that you could listen to that would probably add something to your life uh, in a positive way. And, you know, you don't know which one it's going to be, really. Like, sometimes you just see a name and you're like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, I remember the first time I saw the word Grimerica, I was like, what's Grimerica? You know, like, what is that? That's like America, grimy. <laughs> Grim. you know, I'm expecting like a rap, underground rap, like, grime, <laughs> you know, something like that. And I go and listen and it's like too polite, kind of polite. Canadian guys, you know, just chatting with uh, with mystical people and historians. And just like you described before, you get to talk to all these awesome authors and scholars and thinkers. And and that's what, for me, Grimerica Show offered, like this whole group of people that I didn't know existed, you yeah. know, from my limited perspective before I found podcasting. Because the authors, they seemed real, but they were real on a different level, you know. Like I could read their words. But it wasn't until I, like, heard Joseph Farrell's voice that his book, Gene, Giants, Monsters, and Men, actually came to life, you know? Or, like, Mark Booth and his book, The Secret History of the World, you know? Like, I was able to hear those guys get interviewed. 
hear their voice, and now it's almost like going back and reading their book has another dimension to it. And that also is synchronistic because I just found those books randomly thinking like, oh, that's an interesting cover, you know, like, <laughs> let me check this out. And that book changed my life, you know. It, oh my. It's really profound. And then now having the opportunity, like you said, to be in the podcasting world, you, you know, I've talked to people who have inspired me that are just podcasters like Graham and Darren from the Grimerica show. They did the 20th episode of the podcast I do, and uh, even the podcast I do, I kind of was inspired by Sam because Sam Tripoli was like, hey, what's the name of your podcast? I told him the old name of my podcast, and he was honest with me. He was like, that kind of sucks, you know, come up with something else that makes more sense, you know? So I was like, okay, and I'm hanging out at my family's house. I'm like, hey, I... I'm working for this podcast. It's called tinfoil hat. I'm so excited, you know, and they're like, what? Like, that's not a job. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you need to get a real job. And I'm like, Oh my God, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like they don't realize how big of an opportunity this is. And then that's where the sh name of my show came from. My family thinks I'm crazy. And that's, you know, always been true, but it kind of took that moment uh, synchronistically to create it, you know, and now here I am. My family thinks I'm crazy kind of birthed this other project called the Synchromistic Experiment and the Ever Expanding Now because I want to be able to focus in, you know, and have conversations with people like Michael Wan and Ross Ben and Chris Knowles and Laurel Erica and all these people who kind of focus on. Uh, and those are just people I've spoken to in the past, you know, few weeks. There's so many more, you know, yeah. one guy that. I've never uh, met or, or talked to Michael Sandler, I think his name is, and he's really inspired me a bunch with his automatic writing and oh. all the information about automatic writing. And, and really what that's done is shown me that, you know, my life is a story. And once you own that and start to like feel that in an authentic way, you know, you're, you can rewrite your, the story of your life in the direction that you want to live it. Would you say that's true for you, Phil? Yeah. And it's uh, quite empower, empowering, you know, we, uh, it depends how you grew up, but I mean, I sort of grew up in the sort of new, when the new atheists were big and, mm -hmm. um, the sort of, uh, a tendency to nihilism, there's a, a desolation and a sort of pointlessness of it all. When you, you're immersed in this materialist paradigm that we currently live in which, you know, from the post-Enlightenment era, it's sort of got worse and worse and sort of peaked with the new atheists. And it seems to me that there is a shift and that people are sort of rejecting this worldview, this paradigm, if you like, and saying, no, I don't believe I'm a fucking, uh, you know, a sack of meat, a biological robot spinning, you know, an insignificant ant on the spinning rock hurtling through space, you know. I think there's something more to us. I think there's something special about the human race. As corny as yeah. it sounds, and, you know, if if I was 20 years younger, I'd be laughing my cock off at myself, uh, sounding like, a, you know, chucking hippy-dippy bullshit about. But I, that I really have had that experience, and it's it's hard to talk to people about because we're kind of in the minority, <laughs> you know. Most people are still entrenched in the, in that sort of... Biological well, determinism. 
And I think that this stuff kind of is in the air, you know, because I remember, like, I was born in 1994, so that was sort of towards the end of that era. Yeah. And, uh, but I absorbed it, you know, because at a young age, I was very much interested in animals and nature and science. So all of that appealed to me and it felt like, oh, okay, yeah, evolution makes sense. This all makes sense. And like, I started getting interested in war and politics and like middle school and like weird shit, like espionage. Like, why is a middle schooler interested in <laughs> you know, espionage? But I was. And then, uh, you know, something happened. Like, martial arts came next naturally. But something happened that sparked me to smoke cannabis. And I think that really pushed me towards where I'm at now. And it's like opening my eyes to spirituality because I would have been the same way, like laughing even from that 15-year-old perspective, like not knowing shit. I thought I knew it all. <laughs> yeah. And like being an atheist was like one of the ways that I thought I was smarter than my grandparents and my parents who, you know, would go to church. And now I kind of look back and I'm like, okay, well, I still don't agree with the church, but it, it's more for a, like a philosophical reason now rather than just like a cultural reason and uh and cannabis really opened up that ability for me to think in this new way philosophically and you know i don't want to say that it was like the creation of that new part of me but it definitely was like a fuel you know it, it accelerated my spiritual growth and i mean i've smoked every day for the past nine years. So I don't know if that's the healthiest way to smoke cannabis, but it's definitely a commitment that I've made. And I think that it, it's benefited me in the realms of uh, spiritual intelligence and just straight up uh, ability to kind of absorb what's around me. And yeah, I, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for, for cannabis. But then again, podcasting was the next you know, phase of it for sure. But, but yeah, I, I definitely, I think it's in the air, you know, and, and ever since 2012, there's been this feeling in the air of uh, harmony. I think certain people can tap into it 100%. Some people only feel it like 60, 70%, you know, like me, I'm probably like a 60%er. Harmony is kind of like, where I'm trying to be at, even though the matrix is still dragging me down that 30, 40% some of the time. Right. But then there's people who are totally flipped. Like they don't experience harmony unless they like go on a vacation or something, you know, cause they're so into the matrix and the way the matrix of our culture and technology has shaped our lives, you know, onto this calendar system that we, we can't just sit and observe and have a moment of, of peace, you know, in nature. No, it's, it's something that's missing. And, and this concept of free time as well, you go back to, I mean, they reckon now that hunter gatherers had a lot of free time. It didn't really, you know, all they had to do was look after the shelter and the food supply and the water. And, 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 you know, other than that, it was playtime. You know, other than making bits and clothes and building shelters and whatnot, but our lives are so consumed now. We're, we're just cons we're just consumption addicts, 
And uh, it, we're, we're born into this system. It's lucky that you get to break out of it and realize what's going on because you're born and raised in this system of consumption. You're bombarded with advertising from the day you're born. You have your cultural norms and social norms that you have to adhere to. You know, you go up, you go to school, you get a job, you work to 65 and then you retire. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you, people have their whole lives planned in front of them. And what, you know, I would, I would think, what was the point? What did I actually learn? And, you know, I was lucky. I came to a point in my life where I realized that it wasn't like an epiphany or a eureka moment or anything, but I was just spending so much of my time on meaningless shit. And it, and it wasn't fulfilling. And I found there was so much value in the, the pursuit. Once you open your mind, try and get rid of some of this programming and, and think deeply about yourself and what you think you're, you're here for. Right. Yeah. Thing is people aren't, I don't think people are introspective enough. Mm. I think a lot of people are just so hammered. They're so hammered by the daily grind that when they get home, they've worked eight hours, they've picked the kids up, made the dinners and whatnot. They're so exhausted. They've no room. They've no mental energy to think, and they've no physical energy. And so Netflix goes on, and I'll finish that box set, and maybe have a glass of wine to fucking numb the. And even this like paradigm of the hunter gatherer, you know, and it's not you. I mean, that's kind of a general description of man's ancient past, but. I mean, I just don't see the evidence for that. I think people lived in civilizations that were much more advanced than that. But besides that, you know, look at our diets. I think our diets right now are ultimately, for the most part, the majority of people are eating things that are contributing to that sluggish mentality. You know, of, of like, I don't have the time to think about anything, so I'm just going to let, you know, this television consume the time that would, you know, and entertainment, the word. It's just to attain your mental space or enter your mental space, you know. Bread and I circuses. Just, yeah, I just think that when I stopped watching television, it was around the same time that I started listening to podcasting a lot more. And don't get me wrong, like, I got my, like, Twilight Zone DVDs, like, the original <laughs> Star Trek DVDs, like, I'll watch those every now and then, yeah. but, uh, but at the same time, I'm, at, I'm coming to that place from the perspective of how was, you know, the smart man that created this, like, what was the message he was putting into this? Because there's always, you know, a message, and, and art is art, you know, we can interpret things i don't want to become like a luddite and say oh everything is terrible don't participate in the media but if you can approach the media with this perspective of discernment like what's the bias what's the agenda what's the message behind this you start to notice a lot of themes and i think that's what gets you sick of media ultimately and why you want to go back to some of the older stuff, like the original series of Star Trek or the Twilight Zone, or, you know, from a time when things were a little more artistic. Maybe that's just my perspective, but 
I, for the most part, Netflix, you know, it didn't take me more than a month or two to cancel it, you know, because <laughs> no. I was just, I got so bored. I'm like, there's nothing here that appeals. You know, I never was a fan of horror movies because regular movies are just so horrifying already, you know, they're just like, is this what life is to people? Because, you know, when I smoke and I go for a hike and, you know, like last night, I was sitting peacefully by the beach and two foxes, two foxes ran out of the the tall grass ran right up to where my girlfriend and I were sitting three times, you know, we're just sitting there peacefully, you know, that was, that was way more entertaining than anything you can find on Netflix. (laughs) Wild, wild foxes doing their thing in nature and on the beach too, of all places, you know, it was just such a beautiful sight, but I think that's part of, the scene, the synchromistic experiment and the ever-expanding now is when you put yourself in the place of awareness and presence of the moment, the creator, the higher intelligence, you know, whatever force, this omnipresent force that pervades all of us and permeates between all of us, it can bring you to appreciate those special moments, you know. That's just one of many animal moments and maybe that's just because i love animals that that type of omen means more to me and that's what comes up in my you know destiny for other people it might not be that way maybe somebody out there like really loves cars and that's part of their synchronicity they see you know certain cars you know or whatever's kind of ubiquitous because that's part of synchronicity it's like that nothing's random And we have this huge, huge kind of almost chaotic field that we call the matrix. But there's no such thing as random. It's chaotic, but it's not random. There's order in every little experience. And and the way things happen to you in your life, they're a reflection of your inner world. You know, like when you're frustrated, traffic seems to be a little more frustrating, you know. (laughs) And when you're taking it easy, oh, maybe you don't notice it as much, and and, and then traffic opens up a bit. You know, I don't know how things are in the U.K. other than you guys drive on the other side of the road. The right side, yeah. I'm in between New York City and Boston, some of the biggest cities, you know, in the world. So traffic can be kind of a nightmare depending on which road you take. But that's kind of like life, you know. If you take the wrong route, you're going to have more obstacles than you would if you took the back roads, you went through the nature, you know. So maybe this is another kind of soapbox moment that has no (laughs) conclusion, but I think the, the synchro mystic experiment, you know, it's, it's an experiment that you have to take in your own life. You know, it's not that we're experimenting, we're exploring now, but when you first get into it, it's like an experiment, you know, you have to test it out and see what happens. And maybe, you know, your experience is going to be a lot different than mine, in which case, get in touch with me, because that's a part of it, you know, this sort of network of uh, organic experiences and adding them up from, you know, the little stories and seeing how they build into this bigger story and how we can all solve the mystery together when we have our head on straight and we're like, figuring these things out like oh why is this orange type of stone used in every library (laughs) you know like maybe there's a guy who knows it 
maybe he's wrong. And that's the cool part of like going into this mystery is like even something as like bland you might think is architecture, like, oh, who cares? Squares, rectangles, triangles, wood, stone, who cares? You know, no, there's a lot of symbolism on buildings, statues, you know, even down to the little like curved lines with a flower, like everything has a sort of meaning and resonance and that's something that I've just really tripped out on lately is like looking at all these buildings with new eyes, like, wow. Okay. Why is there a statue of a woman, (laughs) you know, with a spear stabbing a panther? Like I just saw this today. She's riding a horse. She's got a spear and she's stabbing a panther and the panthers on the front of her horse. And this is in a, in Connecticut where there's no panthers. Was it it Hillary Clinton on the panther? (laughs) She might have a she might have a house somewhere in Connecticut. I wouldn't be surprised by that. But but yeah, it's just out of out of place things like that. Like a panther statue in a place where there's no panthers. Like, you know, there's a meaning behind it. What is the meaning? And you yeah. know, when we get into the darker conspiracy stuff, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, there are some symbols like, you know, Saturnian type symbols that come up with the same groups over and over, or like with the Freemasons. They're always close to a river, you know? I mean, if a town has a river, the Freemason Temple is probably across the street from that river. Yeah. You know, I would say nine times out of ten, at least where I'm at. Some sort of landscape structure that's, you know, unique. And then even down to, like, all right, Ross Ben, who I just met up with in Philadelphia, I I mentioned uh, Tara, my girlfriend, and I mentioned, like, wow, there's a lot of churches in Philadelphia. And he was like, yeah, there's a lot of red door churches. Have you ever heard about this? No. Red door church. What's a red door church? It doesn't sound good. No, no, right? It does not. So according to Ross Ben, who uh, has his book Free Your Mind and Your uh, Free Your Mind and the, Your Mind Will Follow, great book as well as Great Mystery Philadelphia, another great book. He told us that a red door church is a church that's built on top of an ancient burial ground. Okay. So, I mean, if you've ever seen like pet cemetery <laughs> stuff yeah. is going on when you mess around with ancient burial grounds, you know, but that's a part of the mystery is like, why are these certain groups building churches on top of particular spots? You know, it's because they have a esoteric knowledge that is not generally shared with the public. And I think that's something that I've always been very fascinated in is the esoteric. And I know Mm. that's something that a lot of people in our community here in the podcasting community are excited to learn about because, you know, we're in the age of Aquarius where nothing is going to be hidden anymore. You know, it's all coming to the light. I like, I like the, uh, the stuff about, um, it's funny how things, holy places always seem to get built on top of each other. It's like when the, when the Spaniards made it to the New World and, you know, the, wherever there was a, a Native American uh, it's a holy place, it, you know, bulldoze it and put a church there. It's right. like uh, the actual geography has a significance. Exactly. And you get into sort of ley lines and stuff like that and, uh, like, there's some sort of geographical system at work. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and around here in New England... You know, any place that was sacred to the Native Americans, they would 
call it Devil's something. So, like, there's the Devil's Den, there's the Devil's Hop Yard, there's the Devil's Cliff, there's the Devil's, you know, this and that. So all of these places that you might see on a map that say Devil typically were sacred places to the Native Americans. And, and you know, the puritanical kind of fear got them to label it as such to keep people away or or maybe to demonize this, you know, strange group of people that they were trying to colonize. <laughs> so it was definitely, you know, that was something when I learned about that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I went to this place called the Devil's Den uh, in Connecticut where there's like this underground cave and you can just feel the vibes around here. There's something weird went down, but, you know, that site is more of an experiential site. If you want to consider like something that you can see with your eyes, like there's all of these stone alignments, like in Connecticut, there's one that's kind of close to the shore. It's called Gungiwamp and it's these uh, stone caverns, big, huge, massive stones with moss and dirt kind of covering them. And they're almost similar to what you'd have in Ireland with like uh, the, uh, I forget the uh, proper name, but it's like two stones and a, and a flat stone a, over a it. A dolmen. Built into a hill. Yeah, yeah. And, and they have a couple of them, but they're situated in such a way that the back window of the little cavern, you know, reflects the light on the solstice, right? <laughs> yeah. So on the solstices, so this stone, these stones are huge, and they're also aligned just right so that, you know, it's like a clock or a calendar. So this is just one example, and people in Connecticut, for the most part, have no idea that this place exists. It's not like Stonehenge where you can, you know, take a tour and you know you'd have to really do some research before you go and take a tour it's not you know publicized uh and it's not easy to get to but you know it exists and that's a part of this larger mystery there's so yeah. many unexplained little nooks and crannies of your own backyard you'd, you'd love it over here we've, we've got tons of uh, megalithic stone circles and dolmens I mean, the yeah, yeah the the UK is riddled with them. Like, I I passed one the other week. I went on vacation the other week, and I passed one, and it was just in a farmer's field, but it had like a, a fence around it, and it was like that was a three stone dolmen. And uh, okay. but uh, there's loads. Of, when I went last time, I went on a holiday. I went to the other side of the country, and I passed um, the UK's biggest freestanding megalith. I think it was about thirty feet tall, and. Uh, there was a church next to it. <laughs> so there was this megalith. It's like what we were saying about building on top. You know, this, this site's been there for 5,000, more than 5,000 years, I think. And, uh, yeah, there's a ch it's in a church graveyard. And there is a, a Roman uh, casket there as well. I forget what they call them, a Roman uh, coffin. So you've got, you've, got, you've got ancient prehistoric or sort of Bronze Age about, you know, maybe 2000 BC. You've got Roman stuff there from, you know, zero, the year zero. And then you've got a church there, church there from the uh, 18th century. So it's like every 2000 years, some, some uh, got built in this site, or, you know, there's human activity around this site. And 2000 years, that's like, you know, 2160 years. It's, uh, it's uh, 
uh, what do you call it? Not the uh, processional number two one six. You know, it's it's uh, HD, isn't it? Super HD two one six. You double that, you get four three two, don't you? So I thought four hundred thirty two megahertz, and you know, the, it ties in with the ratio of the moon and the Earth and all that oh. stuff. It's like everything's connected, and. Yeah. It's just funny that every two thousand years, something sort of religious gets put in this exact same spot. <laughs> yeah, down to the exact measurement, and yeah, in alignment with the celestial calendar, you know. And yeah, I, I when you brought up the Roman uh, part, it kind of threw me off because that's something that I'm particularly fascinated in right now is how the Roman Empire sort of took what was Druidic culture and uh co-opted it you know really erased it from history now we only have like king arthur and merlin's legends but like for the most part a lot of that stuff was lost am i am i wrong about that um i mean pretty much i mean the romans got up to the north of england they never uh, finished the job so there would have been some cultural transmission you know in right in the north of scotland you would imagine during the Roman op- occupation. But um, I think, um, like you, we, we've got sort of a cultural memory as a species of something that happened before. And it's like a Graham Hancock put it best when he says we're a, a species with amnesia, or words to that effect. And, and that's uh, why I think this mystery, the history, it's all very fascinating because... We're starting to wake out of that illusion, right? I mean, uh, yeah, and I mean, even down to like, okay, so in Connecticut, there's New London, and it's on the Thames River, right? Yeah. Which is where London is, right? In the UK, is on the Thames River, so, uh, or you guys call it the River Thames, right? Yep. So, so I just thought, you know. There's something magical about that, where they're naming things the same. They're sort of creating these, like, reflections. You know, there's New Britain, Connecticut, and then there's Britain, you know. But there's New London and then the Thames River. And I just thought... New York. Right, York, exactly. And York, that's a Roman Roman, uh, outpost, in England, in ancient England, right? So Yeah, there's a a statue of... um... Oh my god, I'm blanking on his name. The Emperor. Caesar? Constantine. Oh, okay. Emperor, there's a big statue of Emperor Constantine in the centre of York because he was the the first Christian Roman em- Emperor. Right. And uh, he was, I'm pretty sure he was coronated or uh, as Caesar in York and then he went back to Rome to take the title. <laughs> Best yeah. in the world. <laughs> Caesar. And... and- all of this is to say, like, you know, I'm not a specialist. I don't have any answers. I'm just pointing out, like, these weird similarities and coincidences because there's so much more. And then you find a guy like Graham Hancock who has, you know, multiple books about it and he specializes in this total subject. But then there's, like, even deeper specialists like Michael Wan who specializes in, you know, the Susquehanna River and then Ross Ben who's, like, checking out philadelphia and specializing in all the mystery there so when we can create this larger picture of what's going on Mm -hmm. uh from all of the different 
intelligent people and all of the resources we can gather in this kind of network way, it's going to be something to, you know, really counter against places like the Smithsonian Institute you know, yeah, in America yeah. who they basically try to, you know, corral history into these narratives, you know? Absolutely, yeah. We, we had uh, Adam Stokes on who, who wrote a book about giants in Ohio mm. and um, he he told us all about the Smithsonian and, uh, yeah, particularly when it comes to Native American history you know it's it this we're the smithsonian we have this narrative and and that's going to be the truth from now on and right. you know we're only just starting to piece things back together now and it makes you wonder i often ask myself how historically accurate is history the history that we're given anyway and this is the the thing that i because I, I love history and i love reading about history and the one thing you learn is you've got to um you can't just read a text you have to read the author as well who wrote it when were they alive what were the circumstances while they were alive what was this author's political alignment you know you've got to is you've mentioned you've said this word twice and it's the best word for it is discernment mm. it's 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 trying to piece things together yourself and um it's it's really hard because i love wacky stuff and you can end up going down a rabbit hole just because it's so tantalizing and intriguing and uh, you could be being led astray and you've got you've got to check you've got to be so careful with what you're consuming i mean what's what's your like your attitude to research do you like super focus on subjects when you're researching in the esoteric realm or is it more of a shotgun approach or do you even have a method have you even stopped to think about how you conduct your your research i yeah no i'm i love this question because i definitely over the past few weeks have thought about it uh but it's like a form of like bibliomancy you know you kind of <laughs> go into a bookstore and the right book comes to you you know and and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like, you know, out of the hundreds of books I've bought, I've read every single one, but I'm a pretty fast reader and I skim and scam and I find, you know, scan, not scam. Sorry about that. Skim <laughs> and scan. I hope people aren't thinking I'm skimming and scamming. But anyway, <laughs> so I skim and scan these books and it's so funny, like the way that the information jumps out, you know, and. And right now, you know, I'm like kind of creating this like library that's becoming sort of a burden since I don't have a place to live right now, you know, so they're all just in my grandmother's basement waiting for me to, to find the right library. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think my research is hands on, you know, and, and like these stones right here, I could show you, um, I just got from the Susquehanna river, but we went and visited this place in, um, the Susquehanna called Falmouth. You see these like yeah, there's a there's a Falmouth in Cornwall on the on the oh, west yeah. coast of the UK. Yeah, same name again. Okay. There we go. So yeah, in Falmouth, uh, Pennsylvania, along the Susquehanna River, there's this spot where you can find all of these really strange rocks, really smooth, smooth rocks, and some of them are huge. I mean, most of them are huge, right? But the the ones you can pick up are strange too. But the large ones have like bowls shaped into them, perfectly circular bowls 
and you know water has collected in them and other stones have collected in them and they're just like these shimmering little pools and like for people who can only you know maybe see online i definitely recommend looking it up because you know they're really out of this world stones along the susquehanna river and you know just going there and experiencing the energy thinking about you know what this could be and then going to the the experts you know because the experts say like a glacier created this but like you know this stone right here i hold it in my hand and i see like all these shell imprints and it makes you wonder like would a glacier have done this you know how could a glacier have done this i mean theoretically <laughs> if it was cold enough to where a glacier was going on is that alone enough force to imprint a shell into stone like i don't know maybe but these are the kind of things you can like kind of just go and if you go to the right place and you really put put it out there you know i was only it was only a year ago that I didn't know Michael Wan. I was just a fan of the Higher Side Chats, and I listened to his conversations with Greg Carlwood, mm -hmm. and I was driving by the Susquehanna River just by chance. So I stopped, and I, I said a prayer. I said my peace with the river. I prayed for the river, you know, and, and just, like, put my heart into it. And then less than a year later, you know, I, I'm – having Michael Wan on my podcast, which leads to me going and visiting him in Pennsylvania. And to make things even more synchronistic, you know, we planned this uh, podcast a month or so ago, right? And I had no idea that I would be going on this trip. But Mike, Michael Wan lives in Lancaster where Amish people live. And this is the Amish Inquisition, man. The first yeah. time ever this week in my life, I saw Amish people. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to bring the synchronicity into the real forefront is like here i am talking to amish phil and just a couple of days ago i saw actual amish people for the first time in my uh, life all I, by coincidence i can i can add another dimension to your synchronicity did you say lancaster lancaster yeah well well i'm in the county of lancashire lancaster oh. is uh lancaster's 10 miles north of me Oh, wow. Okay. See? And yeah. <laughs> Amish. I mean, come on now. I can uh, ask where the you, inspiration you, for the name came from. You saw an Amish person in Lancaster yep. there, and I'm Amish Phil, and I'm in Lancashire. <laughs> I and mean, that's just fucking weird. That is fucking weird. That's fucking weird. Now, I, I'm wondering now if you've manifested me or if I've manifested you. I wonder. I think that's part of it. I What's going on? Is this, your is this you changing your reality or me changing your reality, Mark? Both, both are tr simultaneously true. I think that's really how it works. We're synchronized. Are we synchronized? <laughs> like a swimmer, like a group of swimmers. Oh, my God. When do we get married? We have to go through our uh, swim routine first. <laughs> okay. Your legs to be flipping through the air. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm all right at breaststroke, but apart from that, I'm a bitch, you know. Well, we'll have to teach you the butterfly. I've had plenty of compliments about my breaststroke. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to ask you, where the Amish Inquisition, the Amish Phil, where does that come from other than being... Uh, <sighs> Uh, have you have you have you heard of uh, Monty Python? Yes. Right. 
they were they were a, a really famous uh, comic troupe in the from the UK. John Cleese, um, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and uh, Jonathan Chapman was it? Mark Chapman, I think. Or was it Mark Chapman who killed John Lennon? I can't remember. That's another synchronicity, I think, probably. I think it was Mark Chapman who <laughs> killed John Lennon. Yeah, he he wasn't in Monty Python. <laughs> Not that guy. Um, but Monty Python had uh, a scene called the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. And because uh, we're English and we're big Monty Python fans, I just thought Amish Inquisition's a bit of a pun. And it's sort of kind of ironic because Amish people don't have technology. So an Amish podcast is a bit of an oxymoron. And the other thing is... Um, I'll tell you what it was. When we started, I think it was 2017, I think, summer of 2017 we started, there must have been a big hoo-ha or controversy in the media about people being offended. And we started this podcast, and it's we're, I'm, I'm a big free speech advocate. I think you should be able to say what, what you want as long as you're not you know, threatening to kill someone or something. And uh, every, uh, everything in the media was people about being f- offended and oversensitive or whatever. And someone said, what about the Amish? We can talk about the Amish. We can't offend them. They'll never hear it. So it's, <laughs> there's like about three different reasons. I mean, I know it's a shit name for a podcast, but oh, no. that's the best we've got. <laughs> no, my, my girlfriend and I, we were laughing about it. We're like, oh, isn't that funny? You're going to be on the Amish Inquisition. And we were just talking, you know, basically with people who live uh, in and around Amish country. We went there ourselves. I mean, yeah, it's wild. You see them, you know, riding horses down the street with the cart and buggy behind them, you know, and they all kind of dress the same. So it's really, you know, it's like a peek into, you know, 400 years ago, what things might have been like. And yeah, There's something that, I'll tell you what, there is something definitely attractive to me about leaving technology behind in that mm-hmm. manner. I do yeah, wonder, well, uh, you know, if, if a lot of these things out. are a net benefit or not. What I have found out, though, through my week being sort of in proximity to the Amish, is that they they have a lot of loopholes, sort of like like the Jews, kind of with the whole like uh, Sabbath, when they have like you know certain technology they can't use, but they create this technology to like you make a loophole so they're not offending God. So like the Amish have those kind of loopholes too, where they're like. They're not allowed to smoke white cigarettes, but they can go and get like a red colored cigarette or a black, you know, or a brown paper cigarette, but white paper cigarettes are not allowed, you know? So like, it's just like, it's kind of a, a interesting Racist, thing. Racist, really. The other, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, but what, what I found interesting is the, the powwow. That's the word for, or uh, bruja is the word for this type of Amish magic that they do. What? It's like, Amish it's magic? Like, yeah, it's like a mix of German and uh, and Native American magic. And Fuck. it's so fascinating, you know, these people outside of, you know, the, on the fringe of society in a way, you know, outside of technology, and there's this, like, stream of mysticism and you see it on their barns. They have these beautiful paintings that are like hexagram symbols, you know, and like 
it's like a sigil, sigil yeah. magic, you know, and, and I'm sure they have little spells and there's some folklore. Like we went to this one site that was just beautiful, this huge, huge rock and a tree, the roots growing over the rock, almost framing it like a picture frame. It's a massive rock. I'm, I'm almost six, nine. I'm like six foot eight, you know? Wow. So, and it was taller than me. You know, this is a massive rock, you know. How and big's your car? <laughs> you don't look that tall in the car. <laughs> Six foot eight. I'll tell you that. It's a, it's a spacious Nissan Sentra, Phil. Fuck, okay. I had no idea you were that massive. Well, also, for your, you know, UK audience, I'm, you know, maybe it's a little head trip to see me on this side of the car. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a spacious uh, Sentra, you know, it's nice. It, it has enough leg room, I think. But did, did, you, uh, did you have, like, a big, I'm really curious, <laughs> sorry, but I'm so curious about you. You've heard all that, I'm sure you've heard all this before and, and you were, you're sick of it and stuff, but... Did you like? Were you were you the biggest kid all the way through school, or were you like a sort of a middle sized kid and then had a massive growth spurt at like four thirteen? How did it work? Well, I think I was I was average height in elementary school, right? And then in middle school, about like you know, six to eighth grade, you know, eleven to thirteen years old was when I was like the tallest kid, but I was never the tallest kid. I was just wow. in a group of tallest kids because there was like, you know, this basketball player who went on to be, you know, college basketball player around my height. And then there was a kid younger than me who was always taller than me. So even though I'm a giant, I was, you know, not the only giant in my school for some reason. But yeah, it's, you know, it's all right. The average door frame is seven feet, so I'm just like an inch away from hitting my head when I walk through a door. So like, no way! Oh, wait, I, I was a six foot six standard door yeah, frame. Yeah, the door. Well, you guys are using the metric system. That's why. Well, right? oh, don't get me started on imperial and metric. Do you know <laughs> what? The, what was the? Who was it? The the ancient Greek guy. I can't remember which one it was. Who said man is the measure of all things? And you know these these imperial measurements we had, they're all related to the human body. So like right. an inch is the width of your thumb. That's an inch. Yeah. You know, a foot is a foot, or distance between uh, the elbow and the wrist. And it all goes back to fucking, even the ancient Egyptians had worked this out. You know, the cubit. A cubit, I think, is the distance between the elbow and the first finger. And then maybe a royal cubit is the elbow and the second finger. I can't remember. I'm probably fu- I've probably fucked that up. But, no, you know, it's right. all these, the imperial, the imperial measurements are all encoded in our DNA, in our you know, classification, our species, our meat vehicle, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. there's a reason that there's value in that to me. And we're in this country, we want to throw it away and use metric. It's like, no, no, you're throwing away a clue, part of the evidence, important information. We need to know there's a reason why the Egyptians thought it was important to use this measurement. We shouldn't yeah. throw that away for the sake of it adding up to 100 you know, there's yeah. there's value in that. I guess in America we don't really consider it. It's it must be a sore subject for you. Yeah, but 
I feel, <laughs> I feel it like is. I might not have, shouldn't have brought that up to be polite. Yeah, because, you know, the, the old English and the Celtic, they, they all use this system, this imperial mm-hmm. system, but it's been, the metric system has sort of been imposed on us by the EU, the European Union stuff. And uh, I think it's a huge mistake. I think it's huge. I think we should be using imperial measurements because there's not those. There are reasons those ex- those units exist, and we don't want to forget that information. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's definitely. It's like a, a mile. A mile is a thousand paces. That's two steps. So a mile, a thousand Latin mil. You know, a mile is related to the human body. Sorry mm. for butting. No, it's okay. I was thinking about the Temple of Solomon and how oh, they modeled it after the, the the measurements of a man, just like you're describing. Yeah, uh, it even kind of reminds me of the story of Osiris too, where they build the the cage like that. He gets the coffin that he gets nailed into. You know, it's like uh, the exact proportions of him, and that's just a metaphor for him coming into the material world. You know, so the mm. measurement of, you know, this kind of structure of our anatomy is important. I, I don't know. I, Sam Tripoli, you know, he calls me the Nephilim. He <laughs> calls me Nephilim when I see him in person. You know, so if that's any measurement of how tall I am. But, uh, it's, like, it's like, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, there, there's definitely, like, some truth to that, like uh, – because I think my, my heritage is kind of in the Scottish, and there's a lot of really tall Scottish people too, right? And yep. and what, what Jimmy Cranky. <laughs> and really cranky too? Jimmy Cranky. <laughs> no, Jimmy Cranky is a famous tall Scottish man. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Google it, you'll, you'll laugh. Well, but that's my thought is like, well, what if there was this culture of people that were more in, you know, yeah. uh, uh, trading and... and cohabitating with taller versions of humans and that's why there's like weird tall people like me still around with like norse heritage uh, you know northern irish or you know scottish and you know all of the different things that make me up not that i've ever done the ancestry.com i did it the the hard way (laughs) another good i had to ask my grandpa you know another good source for these uh linkages between the human form and architecture is uh, the gothic cathedrals in europe so there's a there's a guy a french scholar i think i think he was french called rene schwala de lubich and he was knocking about in the 19th century i think if i remember right and he's written uh, loads of books but particular one called yes. the temple in man by uh, um about the temple at luxor and all the different relationships between human anatomy and uh, the dimensions and ratios and angles built into the fabric of the temple at Luxor. And it's, I think he spent 20 years there. He was there 20 years basically just measuring this thing, you know, to the, to the best of engineering capability at the time, like the most precise survey possible. And he devoted his entire life to it and then his daughter i think took up the gauntlet and and carried on his research i forget her name now i don't know if she's written any books but that's a good one schwala de lubich i think uh, i think um you know you'll know um, randall carlson from grimerica 
Yeah, yeah. And it, I think it's, it's it, well, it's been on Rogan a number of times as well. Actually, just booked him on Tinfoil Hat uh, like a month ago. He was on Tinfoil Hat. Well, that's how I found Grime America was because uh, I searching for Randall Carlson. Oh, oh okay. And yeah, that's actually kind of similar for me. I I got into Joe Rogan like everybody did in that time, like four or five years ago. And, and yeah, the Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson stuff led me to podcasting somehow. I don't know if it was Grimerica first, because there was also this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know podcast that was kind of like an early conspiracy show. And those yeah. conspiracy guys over there in Ireland was has been around for quite a while, but I'm sorry to cut you off there, Phil. Let's let's hear. I can't even remember what I was talking about. I was just listening to you. <laughs> I heard the show. How yeah. how yeah. Uh, how you found that through oh. uh, Rogan and Carl? That's it. Yeah, yeah. And um, we we had Darren and Graham on last year. I think maybe a year ago, something like that. And yeah, I think it's. Do, do you play an instrument? Have you ever been in a band, Mark? No, everybody thinks I I, I look oh. like I should, you know that it's, kind of thing. So when you when you play instrument in a band or, or you start learning guitar, for example, you start by emulating people who you like, mm. and um, they become your influences. And as you get more competent as a guitar player, you start to learn to express yourself as well. So a bit of you gets mixed in with these maybe three or four other guitar players who are your influences. And forever, as long as you'll play, pretty much, uh, you'll always have sort of remnants of uh, little stylistic twists that, oh, that sounded like Jimmy Page. Or, oh, that sounded like Hendrix. I like, fucking hell, I just sounded like Hendrix for a microsecond. So something that you did, some idiosynchronicity in your play managed to perfectly mimic something Hendrix would have done, you know, day in, day out. But I think that podcasting is the same in that you, you start by listening and then you start to emulate the people who you look up to. So like our show, our first hour... Is, is like Grimerica, where we interview people, talk to people, authors, a lot of the same subjects as, uh, subjects as you, like esoterica, alternative history, the nature of reality, philosophy, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, so the first half is, is like that with Grimerica, but the second half is more sort of like OBDM and, or No Agenda, it's like um, looking at the news, mm. uh, trying to analyze it, see what the message is, learn the discernment that discernment that you talked about, and uh, it's like yeah, you sort of suck up these influences. I don't know where I'm going with this, and then oh, you sort I of put it. your own sort of spin on it, like being in a band. Yeah, no, I like that analogy. I've used it to kind of coax some of my friends into podcasting with me because uh, a lot of my friends don't listen to podcasts unfortunately like my friends in uh, in real life but that's the beauty of it like you were saying before is I've made a lot of really great friends just who are already doing this stuff through podcasting you know and then we kind of meet in the middle and, and form a band you know and, and that's why I, I, I made this cooperative is because we're all able to do our own thing independently. And with the guy like me kind of telling you, Oh, Hey, you should be on good pods and, 
avoid anchor and like, you know, all of these other little tips that they don't tell you with the podcasting one-on-one videos you can find <laughs> or tutorials, you know, like, so, or fireside chats, God forbid you ever host with them. I mean, they're going to steal all your content, you know? So like, those are the things that I'm researching with the cooperative and, and yeah, man, totally. I feel like Grimerica show, the higher side chats, tinfoil hat, are big influence on a lot of people, you know, and I, I try not to replicate their shows, but you're right. You can't help but emulate. And yep. that's where you have to find the balance of all of being yourself while also emulating and being inspired by those who are doing it better than you. Uh, and, and then one day, you know, maybe you do it better and then they look at you and that inspires them, you know, cause we're all equals at this, you know, we're all, and that's kind of like, for me, my story really kicked off into podcasting when I gave Sam Tripoli a copy of the Kabbalion, you know, the seven hermetic laws. Wow. And I was just, you know, I was just a random fan of his meeting him after a comedy show. And I said, Hey bro, take this book. I had it in this like. Uh, Faraday fabric bag that I made so if he wanted to like go off the grid he could <laughs> and, uh, and that was enough for him to be like okay cool man and he remembered me and then he had me on his uh, Patreon show had me back had me back he's like this guy's pretty interesting let me have him on this show so you know and then one thing led to another and I'm working for him so yeah what did, did you do it did you do one with some about Alistair Crowley <laughs> yeah, that was so that was, you know, it's interesting because they just did an episode which was pretty cool. The great magic occult debate. Right. That's the newest episode of Tim Foil Hat. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a subject that people were really fascinated in. And I knew that back. It was almost a year ago now uh, when I did that show. I was like, people are going to be interested in Crowley, but I wanted to take a different perspective on it because I know a lot of people. There's people who like go into the Crowley history, but they like don't look into his darker stuff. And then there's some people who only look at the dark stuff he's done and mm -hmm. they're like, he's a criminal. Fuck this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's, there's two extremes. There's yeah. like people who are like, Oh yeah, he's like my, my British Yogi, you know? And then there's other people who are like, no, he was a child molester spy, you know, like, so I, I found, like, this guy is such a controversial character. Let me add what I know to the mix because I've studied him, you know, a little bit, and he's a controversial guy. You know, I have a bunch of his books because kind of naively trying to learn about magic, I was like, all right, let me look at this guy, you know. So I bought a couple of his books. One of them is, like, one of the most expensive books, I'd say, that I've ever bought. And this was way before I even listened to podcasts that I bought yeah. this book. But, uh, you know, it was really interesting, the feeling that this book, the book of uh, magic by Crowley, it's literally his, like, Lieber Four, right? The, the one that talks about the theory and practice of magic. And when I got this book and I brought it into my sphere, it started affecting things in a weird way, you know, like it had a sort of like energy to it. And I've since kind of canceled that energy out, I think, by talking about it and, and, and like bringing it to the light, you know. And there are things in that book that are a little strange and you can take them one way or another. And it does talk about child sacrifice, you know, straight up in the book, you know. No, he makes no bones about it. 
I think, you know, context is important. When you're doing research, you need to understand the cultural context. You need to understand the historical context to understand what someone's really saying. Uh, because there were ways that people wrote that might have seemed one way. And from our modern perspective, from their perspective, they're saying something completely different, you know. So all of that combined, I created this kind of like perspective, like on his life, you know, my perspective going from the beginning to the end of his life and like finding the weird synchronicities and making mm -hmm. some connections. And that episode did really well, I think, you know, because a lot of people hit me up saying either I loved it or I hate you because you <laughs> talked about Valley yeah. or I hate you because you're a part of it or I hate you because you, you, you know, you didn't say the right things about Crowley. So there was a lot of negative attention that I got from that. But it was it was great because I'm like, wow, 100,000 people just saw something I talked about, you know, and. I've been having conversations like this my whole life. Just most of the people who were participating didn't want to be there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or smoking a joint with someone to bring up like esoteric stuff. They're like, what are you what talking about? That's not real, dude. You know, like <laughs> aliens. Okay, maybe. But the pyramids? What are you talking about? You know? But yeah. now with podcasting, I found people who actually like give a shit about this research and like, you know, wanna wanna learn more and have so many things to add too, because yeah. I'm only one person. I can't figure it all out. But that's my approach with Crowley was like, let me highlight the darker side of this guy to kind of show people both sides of the coin. Cause there's people out there who just talk about the nice things he did. There's people out there who only talk about the Yeah, polarized. Yeah, and yeah. I think he's bad. You know, my opinion, and you want to really ask me my opinion. He was a bad dude. He did bad things. He did things that I would never do, you know. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to run away and hide and put my hands over my eyes and not see the truth of who he was, you know. And when I had a conversation with Sam, you know, it didn't go the way I thought it would, but that was, like, on me. You know, I could have did a better job of explaining it. And, uh, and that's fine. I think that added to it because I was one of the only people who've ever kind of like argued with Sam on his show in that way and got him Damn. all fired up about a topic to this day. If anyone makes a mention of Crowley on his show, Sam goes, <laughs> I would fight that dude. Like, I'm tired him to say that, you know, in a, in a minor way. So that's kind of like the solace I take from it. And, and I'm not done researching him. I don't, I've put it on pause right now, but I don't plan on like selling any of the books that I have about him. I think there's still more for me to learn about him. And, and like, you know, it's, it's just a, a matter of like perspective, you know, I have the same, almost the same birthday as him. He was born October 10th. I was born October 11th, you know? So there's a, a coincidence I couldn't ignore when I first looked him up and got interested in this stuff. And, and I don't think it's done me uh, wrong. Cause like, here I am now, Sam, you know, took me on and, and I work for him. I also have the room to create my own podcast and I, I do the cooperative thing and, and maybe Crowley's sort of energy added to that in a weird way. Who knows? I think you're definitely right about the way podcasters sort of democratized information. And that must, uh, you know, until the invention of podcasting, people had the TV, which was pre-programmed, and the radio, which was, you know, 
all right, there's outliers, but, you know, most people listen to the main BBC radio channels or whatever. And uh, podcasting has opened up this avenue for uh, people to explore different uh, ideas and worldviews and uh, find out information that wouldn't otherwise be fed to them. And uh, it's a, definitely a universal good in that respect, I would say. Here's here's a point that I, I think is emerged from podcasting that I wonder if you think is, because I don't know how to feel about it. I might be a little paranoid, but let me hear me out. Okay. So now these transcript technologies where they can take a podcast and transcribe it. Right. I mean, think about what's happening. I mean, at, from one side, now publishing a book is easier than ever. You can just talk into your microphone and, you know, create a book, transcribe it into words, edit it, publish it. You could put it out, you know, without even printing it on paper. There's so many ebook readers these days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, the other side of it is you can know what, like, you know, figure out syntax in this reverse engineered way to where like, what if there's an Amish Phil bot out there one day that's just like chopped up clips from your podcast, like organized in such a way that it seems like an AI consciousness, you know, like me too. Like I've, you know, put 63 episodes out. That's almost a hundred and something hours. Yep. That's enough. You know, yeah, it's enough. That's enough voice of Mark to like create a Mark bot you know, with this kind of transcript technology. So that's, that's the side of it as like a podcaster who's also conspiracy theorist participating in something that is going to be a conspiracy one day. But at the same time, it's like, Hey man, this is how I woke up. And if I can wake other people up through this vessel, like it wasn't the total package and I wasn't totally like a fish out of water before I found podcasts, but it, it, like I said, it fueled the fire even more than cannabis could, even more than books could, because it brought it to real life. You know, oh, here's a, a guy who's all the way across the Atlantic Ocean who shares a lot of the same ideas as me, and we don't have the same opinions, but we can share, you know, our opinions and find meet in the middle and, and have these great discussions. There was an AI bot that came online on a website about a year, maybe two years ago. And it was a Jordan Peterson emulator. And basically you could type in any sentence you wanted and it would spit out Jordan Peterson um, saying your sentence. In fact, like some of our episodes at the start have uh, Jordan Peterson Peterson saying, uh, don't forget to like and five-star review the Amish Inquisition or something stupid like that. <laughs> because And uh, it was it was up for about a week and then they took it down. Jordan Peterson like had it out with the guy who ran the website, and by mutual agreement, they took it down because they realised how dangerous this is. You can get Jordan Peterson on a, a video, an audio clip, saying anything you want. How does he prove that he didn't say it? Right. Well, he can't, and this is uh, sort of the danger. But and I- it brings to question every voice audio clip you've ever. <laughs> Yeah. How do we know that they haven't had this technology since World War II? You know? <laughs> Fuck. Like, or even, you know, earlier. Like, there's, you know, telephone, telegraphs, you know. This is, where you need, this is where you need ethics to come in. You would hope that someone 
in control had some ethics and would decide that this isn't acceptable and so we're not going to do this yeah. but uh, isn't it funny that the guy aristotle who wrote ethics is like anything but ethical <laughs> <laughs> molesting children and shit like he's another person like crowley not to make light of that but mm. you know it's like this is the type of people who've created our society you know um yeah it's just yeah, it's 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 stunning, you know, to to really the truth is dark, but at the same time when we shine light on it, it demagnetizes the polarity, the evil. You know, that's something that Ross Ben kind of taught me through speaking with him this past week in Wissahickon Creek in Philadelphia. And anybody listening to this, if you happen to live near Philadelphia, I encourage you to get in touch with Ross's work somehow, whether it's his book or his videos online and like look into it. Cause it's just like, it's so wild. Like what you can see, if you just take a walk around the city, you know, and just see, you know, where things are placed and back to like the mounds and stuff and, and rivers too, you know, the Schuylkill river goes through Philadelphia, the Dutch people named it. I mean, there's just so much interesting history there. Cool. Okay. Well, Mark, it's uh, it's mid. It's just clicked over midnight here. I'm gonna have to go well, to bed. Kind of yawning on me, Phil. I didn't think because <laughs> I was boring. I thought maybe you're tired, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just boring. No, I'm fine. Too. I appreciate it. No, it's it's been great to meet you. Finally, I've I've enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. And uh, yeah, it's been good. I'm I'm sort of I'm a bit blasted to be honest. I, uh, you did kind of make a spur decision to smoke weed with me. I'm sorry to do that to you. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't. It's illegal in this country. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just got... I'm in New England. It's legal here, but you're in Old England, and I'm sorry to hear yeah. you guys aren't... Amish Phil, Amish Phil from Lancaster. <laughs> hey, let, me, let me tell you guys, though. If you're in England right now, real quick PSA... Illegal weed is still better than legal weed, okay? They get it from your your local dealer. Don't go to the corporate dispensaries. No, you can grow it yourself. Exactly. Or grow your own, even better. Yeah. Not that I would I ever would like, but you know I don't I don't touch the stuff personally, but yeah. This has been a, a wild uh, swap cast, right? We're yeah. Hope put this out on both of our podcasts, but Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate this. No problem. And, uh, yeah, it'll go out tomorrow. Don't forget to check all the links in the description. We'll, we'll you know, all the social media links will be there. You're on uh, Instagram? Yeah. I, I, watched your, I watched your live video today. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, you saw me? Yeah. Even? Yeah. You can follow Mark everywhere. And uh, it's been really fun. I, we, I better go before I collapse. <laughs> get some sleep buddy i appreciate you we'll do this again soon yeah absolutely take care of yourself mark happy travels right on nice meeting you bro yeah you too take care take care everybody one more week and he'll be back Willie though the Bigfoot, will he be back? Why? Uh, 
Got a message. Lee from the big conspire oh, right, is, okay. is concerned for Amish Ben's welfare. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what he contributed, to be honest with you. Um, it's a dour sense of humour. Mm, and smells. <laughs> yeah. Which don't really translate. A giant beard. Yeah, Lee's wondering if he was maybe uh, abducted by aliens. <laughs> no, he's well, he's, he may have been abducted. He has been taken away in a caravan somewhere, <laughs> hasn't he? Or, uh, yeah, maybe crop circles. Yeah. Um, I think, he said, he, did he, has he said that he, it's taken him 8.5 hours to get home today? And that's why, you know, you shouldn't tow uh, a caravan to the other end of the country. Yeah, it's stupid, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you, you can just hire one. <laughs> why, why the fuck would you do that to yourself? Yeah, uh, yeah. Did we think, how about... How many holidays does he need to go on to pay back his, uh, to earn his caravan? I think it was 20, maybe 30. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, because I don't know what it all costs to store. And you still, it's not like a free holiday. You've got to pay the site fees. So you're only getting, yeah. you're only getting a discount on each holiday. Right, okay. Uh, he's probably getting shafted. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> is this before or after he was abducted? <laughs> He's being probed <laughs> by some Haven rep. Yeah, Haven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we mustn't f- forget to do the housekeeping this week. Yeah, we didn't do it last week, did we? No, we fucked up. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Have we got double housekeeping then? Double. No. No, <laughs> no it's, it's pretty much formulaic. Okay. Do you want to get it out of the way? I'm going to do it now, just straight in there, dry. Yeah. The housekeeping. We're not sure what's going to happen tonight. We might have a guest uh, later on. Yeah. Uh, So we might as well do the housekeeping and the news. I've got lots of fun stuff to do tonight. Oh, you said this three times now, so this is not going to be fun. Go on. What? Go on. Do you want to do some housekeeping? Yeah, go on. (laughs) Housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider returning some value. There's a myriad of ways of doing this. There are not. There are a myriad. What's your favourite way? (laughs) Um, Artwork. I don't think we receive enough artwork. No. Um, I think, yeah, I think we need more artwork for title cards. Yeah, show artwork, episode artwork. Yeah. That would be greatly appreciated. Either email it to us at the Inquisition at gmail.com. You can send it to us via the Discord if you're on there. Yeah. Or via whatever social media. It's all, all the links are in the show notes. Whichever uh, medium you uh, prefer. Yeah, whatever's most convenient. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, I, like, I always like reviews. Oh, gosh. It's nice. Yeah, we, now do, we now had an iTunes review for, for donks. To be fair... Uh, hardly anyone listens on iTunes. Right, okay. It's we a small percentage. We've of hardly it. had any Garner um, <laughs> reviews. <laughs> but uh, the iTunes are the ones that seem to matter. Right, okay. Um, so if you are on iTunes and you have five minutes, drop us a review. Not even or five minutes. It doesn't take five well, minutes no. to write a review. I, I don't know. I haven't got an iPhone. I presume it's pretty easy. Yeah, so I mean, it only takes like a second to press five stars and move on. That's a rating. Oh, we want reviews. Right, okay. Maybe that's where we're going wrong then. 
Asking for reviews. Yeah. Well, rate us as well. Yeah, rate. Rate your mate. Rate and review. Yeah. Um, follow us on Odyssey. Yeah. Chuck us some crypto if you feel like it on Odyssey. You can earn free Odyssey every day. Uh, free Odyssey. You can earn free crypto ed- every day on Odyssey. Yeah. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, you know, you only get sort of half the podcast on here. Mm-hmm. The uh, the second halves, which are usually too spicy for YouTube, have to go on Odyssey or on the uh, podcast download. So you're missing out if you're not on Odyssey. Mm-hmm. If you want to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff so far to be removed from YouTube is, is probably one joke about uh, Prince Philip. So, you know. <laughs> We're on borrowed time. Yeah. I think if they decided to go through the back catalogue. Yeah, I mean, you know, but we've got to sort of, we're trying to play by the rules. Yeah. Uh, just so that we can point people to go to Odyssey and uh, the MP3 download, Spotify, iTunes and all that lot. Mm. So, yeah, if you are watching on YouTube, check that out. Buy some merch. Look what I'm wearing. Holy shit, I didn't even notice. Didn't even notice your own merch. You're literally a communist. This way. There we go. Yeah, there he is. Old Lenin. And this is a lovely, lovely hoodie. It's so soft still. It's been washed like twice Yeah. in a year. And uh, no fade and no Z- detriment to the... Yeah, to the transfer. Excellent. Um, comfy. You can get the new logo, uh, courtesy of Amy the Artist, on there as well. She um, made it fit for putting on a T-shirt. Because after she'd finished laughing at my attempts of Microsoft Paint... Mm-hmm. She uh, made it so it would work on a t-shirt, uh, so you can get that or a hoodie or a mug or whatever. Yeah, uh, the Amish loot chest. Yeah. Is there anything else? Uh, follow us on social media. Follow us. Join the Discord. Join the Discord. S- become a producer. Become a producer. This is crowdfunded or crowd produced rather. If you find something weird, particularly in the news media, that's what I like. Yeah. That we can deconstruct, send us a link or a video clip. Now, you say deconstruct, you just mainly laugh at. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. Depends what it is. Some of it requires deconstruction. Okay. You got to realize what the what they're doing, what the motivation is for running certain stories, why the how they phrase certain things. You can't, if you just sort of sit back and consume it, you're just being brainwashed, essentially. So that is an important service. It is, isn't it, that we provide? I say we, you. Well, you, you, the producers as well. And you. Because we've only so many ears and eyes and time to uh, scour social media and the news for these things. So we, we get a lot of stuff through Discord. Too, you know, sometimes too much. We've got to pick the cream, scoop the cream off the top, <laughs> and uh, to fit in this time that we have allotted every week. Yeah. What else? Memes, memes for Instagram. Yeah, send us memes. Yeah, we've not had any memes for ages, actually. Mm. That's weird. Slacking. Yeah. Anything else? Email us at thearmistinquisition at gmail dot com. Mm. There are various threads on the Discord. For feedback, guest suggestions, topics, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, is that it? Um, could always toss us a fucking coin. 
Toss a coin to your witcher. Yeah, do it for the lads. The lads. 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 Because, you know, we're... Uh, Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. Exactly. You, you are yeah. extremely cool, guys. Exactly. Yeah. Well, on the note, shall we thank the producers for episode 194? There is quite a few. If we must. Yeah. Okay, we have Lee from The Big Conspire, Helen from Discord, Tired Man, Gaff, Gaff Scott, Robbie Robertson... Matching from Apocalypse YouTube channel and Nomi Nosnodge. You are so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. It's a miracle. Literally. The best mate. Let's big up the Mandems. <laughs> it's time to big up the Mandems. Yo, the dwarf, the carrots, the grape, the cunt, the communist, the homophobe, the misogynist, the cripple, and the mother of Molly Pickering from hell. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for your support. We're just trying to, you know, building back better. And we need your help to do it. Yeah. So uh, keep it up. Mm-hmm. Right, let's move on. Let's do some COVID news. Like I said, COVID, like Michael Gove. COVID. COVID news. COVID-19 news. People have got to understand vaccination is going to be, in the end, your route to liberty. The magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass. From hell. You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating mode life. It's not going to allow us to go completely back to normal. Anal swab tests in the same ballpark as seasonal influenza. Because we're getting bored, we want to have fun. I can't save you from wearing a face mask. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them. Epic dub. <laughs> right, let's go back in time. I've got some old COVID news to start with. COVID. COVID news. This is from uh, Pfizer.com. Right. And this is the 18th of November, 2020. Last year. like 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pfizer and BioNTech conclude phase three study of COVID-19 vaccine candidate meeting all primary efficacy endpoints. Primary efficacy analysis demonstrates BNT162B2, the Pfizer jab, to be 95% effective against COVID-19 beginning 28 days after the first dose. 170 confirmed cases of COVID-19 were evaluated, with 162 observed in the placebo group versus 8 in the vaccine group. Pfizer magic juice stops you getting COVID. Let's go to this week. Good afternoon. We start with breaking news this hour. Scientists stress that more research is required, but early findings from Public Health England suggest that vaccines might not be effective in reducing the transmissibility of the Delta variant of coronavirus. Well, let's cross straight away to our health correspondent, Ashish Joshi, who can give us more information on this. Ashish, just how worried do we need to be? What? What's happening? And we've had it from the CDC as well. Rochelle Walensky with a statement uh, Saying this week. That the, the vaccine doesn't work against the Delta variant. Doesn't stop you getting it or transmitting it. Okay. Let's uh, hear more. 
Good afternoon. We start Ooh, with breaking news this reset. hour. Scientists mm. stress that more research is required, but early findings from Public Health England suggest that vaccines might not be effective in reducing the transmissibility of the Delta variant of coronavirus. Well, let's cross straight away to our health correspondent, Ashish Joshi, who can give us more information on this. Ashish, just how worried do we need to be? Not at all. At the moment, um, just a little concerned, I think. I've spoken to the uh, the people at Public Health England this morning, and they are keen to stress these are very early findings. These are the initial findings, and a lot more research needs to be carried out to see exactly what this means for the long-term implications for the vaccine and for the Delta variant. What well, This is the weekly technical briefing. This is what the PHE scientists have found out and they make it public. And during the course of their research, they found that, and I'll read to you from the, the Public Health England guidance. They so this is a quotation from the technical report that comes out every week. They said that they found from their initial research that levels of the virus in those who became in, who become infected with delta having already been vaccinated might be similar to levels found in unvaccinated people essentially what that means is that's the viral load the levels of the virus contained within a, a, a person now if they're the same if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated that might impact the transmissibility of that virus, i.e. the ability to pass on that virus to another person. If you've been vaccinated, we have been told all along and... Who's told you all along? Well, the, the pharmaceutical companies yeah. Yeah, with the studies that they designed mm -hmm. with their own endpoints. The, the research has found that the vaccines reduce transmissibility. Now these initial findings are seeming to suggest that they might not be as effective as once believed. So, well, <clears throat> I, I thought that <clears throat> you could you could get a virus even if you had been vaccinated, but it wasn't as bad. That was my understanding of being of a vaccine. Uh, so you can still no. get it. Yeah, you get it, and you you kill it, and it never takes hold. Right, you have so something called sterilizing immunity. So they're saying that it, the vaccine doesn't provide that. No, your viral load, according to this information, is the same as someone who's unvaccinated. All right, well, that's um, a, that's a waste of money, then, isn't it? Well. It has huge implications, doesn't it? Yeah. So, for one, herd immunity is impossible. From a vaccine. From a vaccine, importantly. Good yeah. distinction, yeah, because natural immunity is sterilising immunity, as far as we know. As far as we know. As far as people getting infected twice, mm -hmm. it seems to be incredibly rare. Well, Whereas, sorry, <laughs> one of my... I know somebody that's says that they've had it twice. My missus knows someone who's had it twice, but... But it's whether it's actually... It's from a PCR test. They've had it's, two positive tests. Yeah. So it's whether it's uh, accurate. And if you don't have symptoms, it's kind of irrelevant. It's right. just symptoms that make you spread the virus more, isn't it? By coughing and sneezing. And well, you would have thought that he would have had some symptoms to have a test twice. Well, you? I don't know, because we routinely test a million people a day, or have been until recently. No, I, I think this person 
went for a test off their own back twice and yeah. said they had it twice. But like you said, how accurate is it, isn't it? Oh, or is it another coronavirus? That's what I mean, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of them. Yeah. I mean, the point is, is that as far as, well, natural immunity has to be sterilising, otherwise we wouldn't exist as a species. <laughs> yeah. We'd have been wiped out yeah. millions of years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the other implication is a vaccine passport. It's pointless. Completely pointless. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's interesting. Unless you're just trying to control people, <laughs> you know. Then yeah. I guess it's kind of useful. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's some people have been saying, well, you know, if this thing reduces your symptoms, but doesn't reduce your infectivity, it could be worse because you won't even know you're ill. Part <laughs> of our, our system, our, yeah. um, what do you call it, Darwin... Really? Evolution. We know if we see someone coughing and spluttering, we know to keep away from them. Yeah. And if you're if you're symptomatic, you feel ill, you're less likely. I know some people still go to the office, but you're less mm. likely to. You're gonna mm. ring in sick. Whereas if this sort of clouds your symptoms or shrouds them and doesn't reduce your infectivity, it's just gonna be like a you're gonna turn into a super spreading vaccine factory. <laughs> a, a virus factory. You it's, are, aren't you? Yeah. It's uh, weird, and it's not isolated. It's not just PHE. Um, as I said, the CDC released similar information last week. It's like you said, it, it comes back, doesn't it, to the studies based on pharmacy, well, trusting pharmaceutical companies to design their own studies. Yeah. Um, not uh, decide what their exclusions are going to be and when and how they exclude different people from the studies. Design yeah. the endpoints. And who's watching him? And are those people captured? Are they... Like Amish Ben. Yeah. Are they like former pharmaceutical industry workers? Are they uh, looking forward to... Normally are, aren't they? Yeah, looking forward to a nice, cussy, non-exec consulting job. Yeah. You know, somewhere down the line. Mm. Who knows? It's just that... Yeah, I don't know. Just be careful what I say. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, just a, a complete sort of what the farage moment. What really. the farage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've got some bad news. Oh, what is it? Professor Neil Ferguson from yeah. Imperial College. Yeah, um, he was uh, interviewed by the Times this week, and uh, I have a quotation here. I think it is unlikely we will need a lockdown or even social distancing measures of the type we've had so far. Right. So I would say bet the farm on a (laughs) lockdown. I'm going for the end of October. Yeah, he says the opposite, doesn't he, to what happens. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a safe bet. I I reckon around Halloween will be the next lockdown. Do you think there'll be another one then? Well, did you not hear what he said? He said it's (laughs) unlikely we'll need a new lockdown. Or even social distancing measures, so it seems inevitable. Right, yeah, I suppose. Judging by his his record. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. Do you not think? I don't know. Um, I I don't really, I don't watch anything anymore, so I don't know what's (laughs) going on. (laughs) You've detached from the matrix. So I don't know... What's going on in the mainstream media? Really, is it? Did he still do a, like a, a a case, like a countdown, a count up of the 
the number of deaths, daily deaths, and they don't really do deaths. I, I don't watch any briefings or anything unless uh, I feel it's an important one. Do they to count cases messaging. still every day? Well, you, they have the dashboard, the COVID dashboard, right? The government website. Okay. It's how the news media report it, and that's I've, what I mean. Sorry, I've disconnected to a degree from sort of uh, main, sort of the main news bulletins. Right. Yeah, I don't watch the news anymore because it's just poison, isn't it? They've been poisoning you. Um, I don't. I just but the case count every day. Oh right, yes, yeah. yeah. I suppose there's that. I mean, um, it's just a bit boring, isn't it? <laughs> it's boring. Yeah, it's shit. It's a it's a shit product. <laughs> you know, it's this is such a crock of shit. I would say. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't watch it. There's some other uh, magic juice news. The JCVI, Joint Committee on Vaccines and Immunisation in the UK, have approved the Pfizer jab for 16 and 17-year-olds. I saw that. Yeah. And I'm sure they said something about 12-year-olds, didn't they? Oh, that's coming. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be 12-year-olds to 16 next, and then 5-year-olds to Mm. 12-year-olds. Yeah, I don't know what's changed in the last two weeks (laughs) since they said, since they ruled it out because of, you know, the side effect profile. And the uh, lack of cost, bene- the lack of uh, risk benefit analysis, the lack of upside for for jabbing uh, young teenagers. Right. Yeah. But, um, do you know? Uh, do you remember Dr. John Campbell off YouTube? Mm-hmm. When uh, JCVI announced this, he did a video on it just to have a look at this because one of the main issues has been myocarditis in yeah. the states. The states are doing it already. You see, oh. I think twelve and above. Really. Yeah. Um, so he had a look. The CDC had released some data about myocarditis in the million, few million that they've already given to kids over there. So just got a little uh, snippet. Uh, apparently, the uh, this data, I think this is the CDC data, uh, 60 cases of this heart inflammation per million doses of vaccine given, mostly... 60 per million of the myocarditis so far. Six or seven times more common after the second dose. Now, when you say 60 per million, it doesn't sound a lot, but I've worked that out at one in 16,666.6 or something like that. Um, And that means if we vaccinate the 1.4 eligible, 1.4 million eligible young people in the UK, then according to that data, according to the US data, we could expect about 84 cases, Um, which doesn't sound ideal to me. Pretty understated. Well, considering the chances, uh, w- that is one in a million, isn't it, from getting dying from it or getting, uh, yeah, hospital. I think he's dying, actually. It's one in a million of dying, and that, you've got to remember, that's all yes, children. Know, yeah, that's not children with comorbidities. Yes, so that's what I was saying, yeah, yeah. Yeah, healthy children, fuck, mm. you can probably 10x that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe five times that, mm. and uh, the the plane down in the states, the plane down the myocarditis. This is only one side effect that is talked about. By yeah, the way, yeah, it's not the blood clots, is it? No, or potential long term mm. reproductive stuff that we just don't know about because mm. it's going to take years. You know, for that's why it takes ten years, <laughs> ten fifteen years. Yeah, because no. like if you're going to give it kids, you need to make sure that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mess it with has time, yeah. Uh, I've lost my train then. What was... Um, what did we say before that? 
Don't know. <laughs> Before it takes 10, 15 years. That's just one side effect. Yeah. Blood clots. 10, 15 years. Yeah. No, I've lost it. Lost my train of thought. So, um, I'm sure it was, you know, astounding. Yeah. The uh, incentives have, are coming for youngsters, have you seen this week? I saw something about a university. Students who are double vaccinated against COVID-19 are being offered the chance to win one of five £5,000 jackpots at uh, University of Sussex. Mm. The scheme is the latest incentive on offer to drive up vaccination rates among young people. All students are being entered into the draw with 10 winners able to claim the five grand prize each if they can prove they are double jabbed or exempt. Ministers are urging universities to create to be creative in efforts to boost take-up. So, it's funny how we're doing things backwards. They've given them the stick first, yes. saying you won't be able to go clubbing yeah. or to a football match or whatever. Mm. And now they're doing the incentives. Yeah, It's weird, isn't it? Just, you know, the fucked up world of bribery. <laughs> you imagine... I wonder what people would have said. Because it was... I remember when I went to university, you had to have meningitis or you were offered meningitis. It wasn't a condition of going to lectures. Was it meningitis? Yeah, it will have been. I think it might have been. Um, and I can remember having a, vac- a, vac- a vaccine um, like in my first in my freshers' week when I went to uni. I might have had another one. It might have been hepatitis or something as well. Um, <coughs> I don't know what that says about uh, fellow students <laughs> offering hepatitis jabs. But anyway, uh, aren't, aren't people of that age particularly susceptible to meningitis? Maybe I don't know. I don't know if it was meningitis. It was something anyway. Um, kissing disease, isn't yeah. it? It's called the kissing disease. Is it really? Yeah, that's why you got offered it. No, that's why I've never, Europe, never had it. Students are a risk group for that disease because they just neck each other. Yeah, they're not. They weren't asking you to protect the old people. No, they weren't. Were they? No, it was yeah. was for our, our own benefit. That's part of the. Uh, that has to be part of the bargain. Yeah, there has to be a benefit. You mm. can't ask young people to take on a medical risk mm. um, for uh, the older generation. It's not ethical. Mm. It's unethical in my view. But you know, what do I know? Yeah, I like. I thought. I thought it was interesting the way they're using lotteries. Psychology, isn't it? Random reward. Oh, it's addictive. Well, no, it's just more. Rather than saying we'll give you a, a fifty quid voucher for whatever, yeah, you'll be you'll be put in a prize draw. Mm. Yeah, it's more. It's more tantalising, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. why they've done it. Mm-hmm. It's psychology. It's the nudge unit all over again. Mm-hmm. They're not daft. Mm. I think that that's uh, that's actually a, a conscious decision to, to make it prizes, prize draws. Maybe, yeah. Won't pre past them. No. Um, do you remember <laughs> we played the clip of New York Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio where he's talking about getting your shack burger. Your burger, yeah. And he was fucking this disgusting conversation. <laughs> you know, eating it in the press conference. And mm. uh, they've been big on the incentives. In New York. In, in New York. Uh, but the gloves are off. Oh. Yep. 
It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. The key to NYC pass will be a first in the nation approach. It will require vaccination for workers and customers in indoor dining, in indoor fitness facilities, indoor entertainment facilities. This is going to be a requirement. The only way to patronize these establishments indoors will be if you're vaccinated, at least one dose. The same for folks in terms of work. They'll need at least one dose. This Hot call. <laughs> Quite surprised. I, how can that be sort of policed? Um, the, uh, I've got some notes here. Uh, it launches next Monday. Okay. And enforcement and inspection starts on September the 13th. Mm-hmm. So how will it be enforced? These, these indoor dining places have been fucked up the arse for yeah. 18 months. And now they're on the, the ones that have survived yeah. are on the last legs. Mm-hmm. Now you're given a chance to reopen. Now you're going to risk your family business on not enforcing this because well, they'll, course, just, yeah. they'll just remove the license. Yeah. Spot checks. Mm-hmm. You only have to do so many. Mm. And the way they're sloshing money about, you can fucking pay an army of people to go around inspect, inspecting these businesses if you want. Mm. I'd just be, I'd just be interested to see because quite often these things are rolled out to great fanfare, aren't they? And then there's like a team of five people doing the whole of New York or something. But you, ne- you know, you never know. It might be more like you say. The money's there, and it's the I know, threat. Maybe yeah. they'll it'll, they'll enforce it themselves. Yeah, because no, they've no, yeah. you know, true. It's not like uh, I can't see us going back to the speakeasy days. Yeah, where you can go and mingle and rub on people. <laughs> <laughs> well, people working, operating outside of the law. Yeah. You know, I'm a legi- legitimate businessman. <laughs> uh, I've got a little, uh, this is from later on in the press conference. If you want to participate in our society fully, you got to get vaccinated. There you go. It's just all a bit depressing, isn't it? It's not going to... I'm sort of hanging on to the hope that it's not going to last forever. They'll get bored eventually. I think it could be two years. I think it could take two years. But uh, uh, yeah. I think in the same way it took a while for rationing to end after World War Two, yeah, people just stopped. It sort of fizzled out. Mm-hmm. There wasn't... The, the laws weren't lifted under great fanfare. Mm. It just sort of fizzled out because people, less people were complaining, like, this is pointless. Why are we even doing this? Exactly, yeah. And I think that's what will happen. Mm. I hope that's what will happen because mm-hmm. the other option doesn't really bear thinking about that mm. um, we're going to be uh, bagged and tagged and live like this for the rest of our lives. Mm. Let's hope uh, it doesn't go the way of Israel because Israel's going nuts. This is uh, <laughs> oh, someone... It's on the ground report from Israel. They have now issued, just this morning, they made it that they're allowed to send each person's private medical records to the local municipality so that they'll know who's taken the injection or not. So I'm making lists. Oh who's, ju- who's had the magic juice and who hasn't? Gets better. They're making people wear a... Uh, ankle bracelet, security <laughs> bracelet, okay. when they come back from traveling. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. 
Is that Israel doing stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I went to the Israeli government website. Yeah. And if you go there, or if you're a returning traveller, yeah, you've got to pay for your own ankle bracelet. <laughs> and uh, you get tagged to make sure you quarantine properly. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, sort of throwing your data about, making lists of, of who's had it mm. and who hasn't. You know, I just couldn't resist making this. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's been jabbed and who's not. Nerds in Yahoo's call to the town. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't want to live in a country like that, you know. It's like I, I, don't, I don't think Benjamin Netanyahu is the first I know, I know, anymore. The, uh, the new guy, uh, his, his name didn't work. <laughs> it didn't flow. He's the uh, leader of the opposition now, Netanyahu. Right, okay. Big Benjin, big Benji. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't believe it. I'm like... Move your teacher out of You know, making lists and fucking tagging people. It's dystopian, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about that. I mean, it's just odd, isn't it? I think it's just like, I think this is the thing, isn't it? That nothing seems to work in helping with the spread of the virus. So it just gets more and more and more, um, sort of strict or whatever or uh, dystopian, and then it's kind of leading us down this trickle of well no we won't be wearing masks and yeah, now we're wearing masks now you don't have to wear a mask you know and then all the other stuff like social distancing now we won't lock people down can't follow china well we did that don't we and then you have three of them and so on and so forth so it is it's weird isn't it how it's sydney went into its sixth lockdown <laughs> this week right yeah. yeah how fucked are they They've done all this shit. Mm, and it's still not worked. What's well, the, the vaccines oh, don't stop the spread of the virus. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. You know. So it's, it's all just pointless, isn't it, really? Uh, is everyone still laughing at the Great Barrington Declaration? <laughs> oh, they're just censored, aren't they? Exactly. They're so. just, just censoring. But it's like... It's, it's <laughs> If you're not part of the orthodoxy, if you're like outside of that, then it, you're a conspiracy theorist, and then it's uh, you, you sort of laughed at, rather than sort of you know let's maybe consider some other alternative views on how things could be improved. Yeah, no, it's not acceptable. Mm. And uh, if you have the wrong opinions, you you get taken off Twitter and YouTube That's and all what the I rest. Mean. Of it. And this is the other thing about sort of social media, isn't it? And YouTube and all the rest of it is that it's such a massive. Uh, part of communication it's not the news anymore is it it's all that kind of stuff that you read and if all, all of that is censored and you're in a, an echo chamber anyway it, it just makes everything ten times worse doesn't it yeah easier to control mm -hmm. you know, the message yeah the agenda mm. but uh, not good for the benefit of us no yeah, I don't know um, Grant Shapps. Shapps, oh. Shappy. Shappy's pants. <laughs> Grant Shappy's pants. Transport Secretary was interviewed this week about um, the COVID passports. Are we now confronting a, a, a situation where 
proof of vaccination is going to be a permanent oh, fixture. Oh, gone off. Oh. Yes, oh. I... Oh. We'll be right back after this short interlude. Oh, hello. We're back. I think there's a wobbly, a wobbly wire there, I think. Yeah. Um... Where were we? Grant Shaps. Shaps. Shapo! Oh, he's gone again. Oh, again. It's gone again. Ah, oh, it's gone again. Oh, slowly. Sl gently slowly, lower slowly. yourself down. Catchy monkey. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's try with the uh, Shaps again about the uh, COVID pass. Mm. Are we now confronting a, a, a situation where proof of vaccination is going to be oh. a permanent fixture? Is it something about this clip? Yeah, Every time I, this clip plays, it sort of... Uh, Maybe it's the bass. Oh. I'm trying to... I'm plugging the lead all the way out. Oh. And all the way back in again. I don't know if that's... It's probably made it worse. Oh. Oh, is it doing that? It's not done that before. No. I don't know if I want to even attempt to play this clip again. It's something... It's like... Uh, I wonder if GCHQ are listening. <laughs> and they don't... <laughs> oh, my God! I don't believe it! I just said... Uh, I just said the uh, intelligence agency that shall not be named. And the camera went off. About MI6. Uh, they are... Uh, they act abroad, foreign, don't they? Foreign. Yeah. Mm. Foreign I, intelligence. I want to give it a minute now and see if it stays on. Mm. Can't believe that. GCHQ. No, don't work for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Grant Shapps on the COVID passport. Are we now confronting a, a, a situation where proof of vaccination is going to be a permanent fixture? Yes, I... Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's continue. I do see um, this becoming a, a permanent for the foreseeable future fixture. Future fixture. Can you explain that? Permanent for the foreseeable future. So he's, he's, he means for the foreseeable future. What the Farage? It's going to be permanent. That permanent means forever. Means permanent. Yeah, but only permanent for the foreseeable future. Yeah. He just doesn't want to say anything categorical, does he? Is no. That, is that permanent? For Maybe me? that's what it is. Yeah. ...of international travel. When I speak to, and we lead the group of seven, the G7 nations this year, uh, I've chaired meetings with my transport equivalents. When I speak to them, it's quite clear that double vaccination will be a requirement. We're already seeing it in virtually every country uh, in the world. Um, so, um, simple message, if you haven't got your vaccination yet, please get it. Unless you're medically exempt, you will need it in order to be able to travel uh, in the future. There you are. Yeah. So we're focused. Permanently uh, for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Fucking dickhead. I'm not going to be doing much then, are we? Um, it's. Uh, I've got an exemption, actually. Have you? Why? Vegan. Are you really? Are you really Vegan a sausage roll. Is it got? Is it got animal product in it or something? Yeah, humans. <laughs> Aborted fetuses. Oh right. Okay. In the. Uh, 
that your way out of it, saying you're vegan? Certainly is. Fucking vegan. Mate, not having it. Can't have it. Exempt. Okay. I think there are probably religious uh, exemptions as well. Right. I would imagine. Because uh, of the abortion question. Yeah. I imagine there's quite a lot of religious people who aren't aware of that. I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, your life's going to get tough if you decide not to have it. So you need to start thinking and uh, preparing yourself. If you're not going to have it, prep. Stop buying in uh, dried foods. I'm not um, convinced about the domestic, you know, about the saying about uh, the end of September, is it? They're going to bring it in for pubs and... Is that what uh, they're saying? uh, Sorry, for clubs and uh, nightclubs and stuff. Because we'll be locked down again by then. Well, that, and I think it might just be coercion. Right, okay. I could well be wrong, but I could, could see him U-turning, that's the thing. You can't take anything they say. No, because nothing's... Um, it'd be interesting if they apply for another six-month extension for the emergency powers that runs till October. Does it finish in October currently? I think I that's think what it does, you said. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So if that goes again... That's that's not... I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that's in doubt. You think it'll do... do, do They'll go for another six months. Yeah, why not? Don't know. Why not? Just say, like, fuck it, no. I'm not doing it anymore. I've had enough. Nah. It's a lot harder to get power away from governments rather than to give it to them. Yeah. Unfortunately. I can't see them letting go of it. Um, The question is whether... um, whether they'll have the support Mm. in the House. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so Labour have been sort of flim-flamming the way through this all. Mm. And it would it would take them to uh, defy the government mm-hmm. for uh, any COVID, COVID. Le- COVID legislation renewals to be mm-hmm. quashed. But I, I don't foresee that really anytime soon. So, no. yeah, I think it'll probably be renewed when it comes around. Yeah. Um, I've got some... Uh, some bad news from for Pfizer. Pfizer have had some negative press this week. Go on, hit me. Uh, uh, drug firms Pfizer and Flynn broke law with 2,600% price increase for epilepsy tablets to the NHS. UK watchdog finds. Mm. This is from Sky News. Two drug firms have been accused by the UK's competition watchdog of illegal pricing and abusing their dominant position to overcharge the NHS for vital anti-epilepsy tablets. Uh, The Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, said it had previously found that coronavirus vaccine maker Pfizer and Flynn, which is a second company, broke competition law by charging unfairly high prices for phenytoin sodium capsules hacking the cost of treatment by up to 2,600% overnight. Mm. It saw NHS spending on the capsules rocket from around 2 million a year in 2012 to about 50 million a year in 2013, according to the regulator. Small beans, <laughs> 50 million quid a year for Pfizer. I mean, it is small beans, but still, the point is, is that they uh, seem to have been acting illegally. Uh, in its provisional finding, the CMA claims the company's exploited a loophole by debranding the drug known as Epanutin, <laughs> prior to September 2012, with the effect that the drug was not subject to price regulation in the way branded drugs are. Mm. 
It said, in quotes, As Pfizer and Flynn were the dominant suppliers of the drug in the UK, the NHS had no choice but to pay unfairly high prices for the vital medicine. Over more than four years, Pfizer's, price, Pfizer's prices rocketed by between 780% and 1600%. Pfizer then supplied the drug to Flynn, which sold it to wholesalers and pharmacies at prices between 2300% and 2600% higher than those they'd paid previously. The good old-fashioned price gouging. Yeah. The masters at it, aren't they, the uh, pharmaceutical firms? Yeah. You would think with the uh, amount of buying power the NHS has, it would be able to uh, get better deals for medications and things, wouldn't you? A huge government-operated organisation being agile in its decision-making and... Not agile, no. No, I mean, just wait. The amount. It's a, it's a captive. It's a, uh, you know, essentially, it's a market of sixty million people. Mm. That's what uh, one customer. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it works in the states. Whether private um, hospitals hospitals buy their own supply. You know, does Probably. each hospital make its own deal when it wants to buy certain medications you would think so wouldn't you all right well we've got 60 million customers here and yeah. we should you know you would think that they'd have the best prices you would wouldn't you yeah it's uh seems not in this case mm. uh, it's not all bad news for pfizer though mm-hmm. um pfizer is making a killing <laughs> according to nasdaq they made 18.98 billion in the second quarter of okay, 2021 now. alone Obviously, huge profit from the magic juice. But, this is the kicker, their drug Eliquis rose 13%. That's a blood clot medication. Oh, God. And their drug Vindiquel rose 77%. Uh, that's a heart medication. So myocarditis and uh, blood clots. See how big pharma works? <laughs> what a strategy. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? This is a win-win. Yeah. That's unbelievable, that, isn't it, really? They, they, <laughs> they cause the issue and then solve it themselves. Oh, you can't say that. <laughs> oh, right. But it, it's out there that they cause these blood clots and myocarditis, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's out there. It's on the fucking packet. Exactly. So it says that this is a side of potential side effect. That's why you're allowed to say it's it. It's extremely rare. So you can still <laughs> say it. It still happens, doesn't it? One in 16,000 kids. Yeah. For the uh, the old myocarditis and pericarditis in the state, yeah, yeah. So uh, a Vindiquel, I don't know. It says it's used for cardiomyopathy here, but I wasn't able to confirm that. All right, okay. um, but you know, that's us then banned. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Has a new virus been discovered in Norfolk? Okay, <laughs> yeah, and it could benefit your health. Oh. Fun. Uh, the uh, a virus that could benefit your human health has been named after the Norfolk village of Colney, where it was discovered. The Colney virus <laughs> is a bacteriophage, a type of virus that infects bacteria, also known as a bacteria eater. Yeah, I've heard of phages. Don't they use these macrophages? That's your immune system. Don't they use? They could, I've, uh, I'm sure that they use these in like. Russia or something, and the like. It's a different way of treating something that I can't remember. Maybe like cancers, maybe. <coughs> I think phage is from the root, uh, Latin root to eat. I think it sells that eat 
Right, okay. Or things that I eat. So this is a virus that eats cells. Yeah, uh, bacteria. It could help combat C. difficile infections. Right, okay. Uh, which infects bowel and causes diarrhea, mm. most commonly during a course of antibiotics, according to researchers at Norwich's, Norwich's Quadrum Institute. Mm. Colony virus first discovered at the Institute of Food Research at Norwich Research Park on Colney Lane could form part of future treatments to combat C. difficile Good. after further work is done. Excellent. So that's that hospital-acquired infection, I think, isn't it? It's like similar to, um, <coughs> it's kind of treated like MRSA. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, MRSA. But well, C. difficile is one similar. as well because it, um, you know, it, I think it mainly, it, well, it can affect anybody, but it spreads like wildfire through wards and then, you you know, if people are coming off major operations and stuff, then you can die and stuff, can't you? Right. And it's often hospital acquired, I think, isn't it? Yeah, so that's where it quite often spreads, Yeah. yeah. Um, good news for smokers. Smokers hospitalised less often than COVID uh, for COVID nineteen. All right, yeah. they just die at home then. No, no. A uh, few of those hospitalised with the coronavirus are smokers, and researchers are trying to understand why. According <laughs> to Vice, one hypothesis is that nicotine, which has anti-inflammatory properties, mm-hmm. may interfere with the way that COVID nineteen causes an overaction in the immune system. Yeah. The, uh, what do they call it? The uh, cytokine storm. Mm. The hypothesis comes from Konstantinos Farsalinos, a cardiologist in Greece. I bet he likes a fag. <coughs> it focuses on tobacco use reduction. Farsalinos noticed that few COVID-19 patients who were hospitalised in China were smokers, though about half of men in the country smoke. So disproportionately underrepresented. Upper-represented. Upper respiratory. <laughs> Under, oh, fucking hell, I'm reading too much COVID news. Uh, Farsalinos and colleagues wrote a new paper available as a preprint and scheduled to be published in Internal and Emergency Medicine. They found that among 13 studies in China with nearly 6,000 hospitalised COVID-19 patients, the range of smokers ranged from 1.4 to 12.6%. And half the men smoked. <coughs> there was the results this is in quotes the results were remarkably consistent across all studies and were recently verified in the first case series of COVID-19 cases in the United States so this seems right. to be happening in the States as well Yeah. Uh, the authors wrote calling for urgent investigation another preprint paper based on a study in Paris found data similar to that seen in China among 350 people admitted to hospital, about 4.4% were regular smokers. Mm. Uh, data in the US looks similar as well, according to the CDC. Among 7,000 hospitalized patients, about 1.3% were current smokers and 23 were former smokers. Though about 14% of the country smokes. Mm. That's a 10%, a tenth. A tenth. Isn't it? Yeah. 1.3% current smokers and 14%. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry, 14% of the country smokes and uh, only 1.3% of COVID death, uh, hospitalizations. Would, yeah, you would you would have assumed, wouldn't you, that if you were a smoker, you would have uh, be at more worse. risk. Yeah. Third worse, yeah. Mm. That's interesting. You're already sort of, your immune system's on constant, because you're sort of killing yourself slowly every day. <laughs> your immune system's just sort of like, oh, what's this, nothing don't overreact. It's just uh, it's just some fucking dodgy coronavirus. Well, that's the other thing. Then. This guy's got bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. I think I've just summed it up. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, you know, you... Let's not go crazy, lads. <laughs> just it, a bit of the sniffles. But it's also that it's not really a respiratory disease then, is it? It's, what was your... What did you always say? That, not always, but how you described it? It's not as a respiratory disease. As an inflammatory disease? Um, circuitry. Circuitry disease rather than infl- rather than a respiratory. I forget the term now, but yeah, it's more to do with your, your blood. Uh, vascular. Vascular disease. Vascular disease, yeah. Mm. Well, that was due to the spike protein, wasn't it? They did that study where they uh, they made a dummy virus with the uh, COVID COVID mm. spike on it, mm-hmm. and it produced the same sort of damage mm. that COVID COVID uh, sick people have. Mm. Saying you know the implication of the study was it's the actual spike protein which does the damage rather than the uh, sort of the bit inside the virus, whatever is in it. Yeah, jizz. It's <laughs> <laughs> the DNA, isn't it? RNA, I don't know, DNA, RNA. RNA, that's it, yeah, RNA. Let's, uh, let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it for COVID news. Yeah, it was a long one. Was it? Yeah, it's like an hour's worth. I have nothing much else. Um, Billy Boy, Bill Gates is back in the press. What's he done? Got divorced. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, 140, 130 billion is he worth? I don't, I don't know, is Are it? Are they splitting it 50-50? 50-50. I would have thought so. I mean, they've been together for a long time, haven't they? Yeah. But even so, you would imagine... Did she not work for him? They both worked for the uh, the foundation, the Belinda Gates Foundation. <laughs> yeah, but I thought they actually... I thought... I might, I might be getting this wrong, but I thought she may have worked f- for him or with him in Microsoft as well. Maybe that's how it starts. Is there not, is there not um, alleged... Rumours out there that he's like a, a top shagger as well, Bill Oh, Gates. absolutely, yeah. He's a, like a well-known philanderer. Yeah, and with staff. Yeah, so, you know, I bet there's like so many, uh, what's it called, non-NDAs floating around. Yeah, well, on that uh, <laughs> on that note, he was on uh, CNN. Is it CNN? Anderson Cooper? I think he's CNN. Right. For an interview and... Uh, uh, Anderson Cooper asks him how is how it's all going, you know, after the divorce. Um, obviously, May, you and, and your wife uh, Melinda announced you were ending your marriage after 27 years on Monday. The, this week, the divorce was finalized. Just on a personal level, how, how are you doing? You know, it's just you know super painful. Couldn't resist, could you? No, I couldn't. And uh, anyway, they move on to Epstein. Didn't kill himself. No, I didn't. And uh, what was your sort of, you know, because there's been reports yes, this, this week. Yes, this is what I saw, the re- yeah, him saying, well, it's probably, well, I won't spoil it. Well, the the, the rumour is, is that um, this might be part of why she did decided to divorce him. Oh, right, okay. When the story broke. Anyway, let's hear. The New York Times and Wall Street Journal both reported in recent months that uh, Melinda was concerned about a relationship you had with Jeffrey Epstein, who at the time you met him in 2011 uh, had been already convicted of soliciting prostitution from a minor. Soliciting prostitution from a minor. Uh, I I would say that's child rape. Yes. Isn't it? Yes. You know, a a minor isn't legally responsible to decide to be a prostitute. (laughs) I wants to be solicited by Jeffrey Epstein. Call it what it fucking is. I know he made the deals before he killed himself, you know, to get off on lesser charges, but they're still soliciting sex from a minor. Come on. A, a prostitute. 
a minor who's a prostitute. Yeah. Right. So but now, now you sort you just kind of accept it, don't you? Because he says it on CNN or whatever. But then when you actually deconstruct that phrase, it, yeah, it's a very strange way of putting it, isn't it? So yeah, he's soliciting a, prostitution from a minor. It's a paedophile. He was a paedophile. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So you know, it was. <laughs> he just did a sweetheart deal. You know, to get this this weird charge, <laughs> so oh. that he could, you know, get out of jail and start meeting up with his friend Billy Boy again. Yeah, Belinda, Belinda Gates. Mm. Anyway, the Times reported she hired divorce attorneys around the time in October 2019 when that contact with Epstein became public. Can you explain your relationship with Epstein? Did you have any concerns? Uh, was there ever any concerns you had about it? Oh, certainly. Uh, you know, I had several dinners with him, uh, you know, hoping that uh, what he said about getting billions of philanthropy for global health uh, through uh, contacts that he had might emerge. You know, when it looked like that wasn't a real thing, that relationship ended. But it was a huge mistake uh, to spend time with him, to give him the credibility of, you know, being there. There. To give him the credibility of, of being with me. Exactly, yeah, because I'm Mr. Quidditch. Yeah, what a humble brag that is. I know, it's awful. But? There were lots of others uh, in that same situation, but I, I made a uh, mistake. Lots of others in that situation. Bill Clinton. Oh, there's a laundry list of them. Yeah, Prince yeah. What's-His-Face. So I wonder how many of his, like, prosies he shagged on that fucking weird sex island. <laughs> What's the island called? Uh, you know, on the plane on the way there. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Cut off your genitals, gouge out your eyes, die! <laughs> I'm sure he didn't suck any ding-dongs. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows the videos oh. he had then, allegedly. Well, that's the whole sort of one of the theories, isn't it, is that Epstein's, the way he made his fortune was by... Luring these rich people yeah. to his fucking den of iniquity. And filming them. Yeah, and then you, he's got someone on you then. Mm. And uh, you know, before you know it, you're... Chest feeding. Yeah. Um, I want to do, before we finish, because you've thrown your notes to the ground like yeah. you do when it's the end of the, the podcast, mm. I want to do a shout out for anybody who's uh, into fish husbandry. Um. Is that bestiality? <laughs> well, it might turn that way. Um, because I, I'm going to tell the <laughs> listeners about my uh, attempts to get into fish husbandry. husbandry. I'm not even at the stage um, where I can get fish at the moment. So <laughs> I was telling Armishfield the other week that I have I bought a small um, pond liner, hard plastic, um, and I started digging the hole. I had to dig the hole three times the pond the first time it wasn't big enough or it wasn't deep enough sorry um the second time it wasn't wide enough and then the third time i think i had to do it even wider so i could like oh no that was it i didn't i didn't put soil underneath the shelves there's plant shelves in it so anyway okay so that's fine so i did all that and then i put it all in and then i filled it with water that was fine it took me a while to find an appropriate pump i bought three different pumps um pump and filter um, finally settled on a small, it's quite large still, um, pump with a UV light plus filter set up. What's the UV light do? I don't know. I think it kills something in the water when it pumps it through it. Right. Um, but anyway, 
It has a small fountain to aerate the water. So to, to <laughs> today, um, I, uh, I've i not told my wife, but I spent online, which was reasonable when you compare it to prices of cinema, where I spent 50 quid <laughs> on pom plants that arrived by DPD. I'm going to slag them off now um, today. Um Open, it came in a box, a car box, which, you know, you're going to, I suppose, you're going to have to have a DPD. I fucking, I thought, oh, it's all right. It's pretty, it's in good nick. The box, open the box. Plants are just fucking. Dist- <laughs> 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 oh. They're just everywhere. So, oh, fuck this. They're half dead anyway. They're all yellow. Oh. Fuck knows how long they've been in a box for in transit <laughs> as well. Um, and bear in mind, they're supposed to live in water. So, anyway, so. Um, did it say on the advert that they would be alive? <laughs> yeah. Did it say pond plants? It did say pond plants. Yeah. Um, so um, one of them smells really nice. One of them smells a little bit minty, which I was quite surprised about. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Mint? Uh, well, it doesn't look... It's not spearmint. It's like a smaller leaf, a thinner yeah. leaf, a long... Like a, anyway, so I, I've got those. <coughs> uh, so I've reading about plant, planting pond plants, and what you've got to get is... Um, they're like they're called baskets, pond baskets. Um, and then you put the plant in the pond basket, and then you can put it on your plant shelf. Okay, so right. it's at the right depth. So if you put it too deep, it'll die. You see. Yeah. So I, I read online. So I put them in the pond plant, and I put some stones on top. So I read about that. Put them all in. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, fucking hell, the fucking pump's not uh, working very well. So I got that out. There was about six fucking caterpillars jammed into the fucking the grate in the pump. So I pulled all them out. It's not working. So I figured out that I just need to turn the pump up so the water the waterfall thing works properly again. Yeah. Um, but what I've <laughs> done is also sorry. I should have said you have to treat your, your tap water. Before you put it in the pond? Well, you put the put the water in, and then you put this stuff in, and it takes oh. the chlorine out of the water, I guess, and puts nitrates in it or something I, I don't know um and then i've got these pond balls that i put in my pump which are then make the water nice with nice bacteria for the fish so you've got to leave that for a while colony virus maybe um and then um so yeah so all that's been done and that takes like a week <coughs> for all that shit to happen and then um <laughs> as the water's gone completely cloudy so I can't see anything. Right. I thought, well, it might, if I just let the pump, you know. But what I've done is what I was supposed to do is I was supposed to line the pond baskets with hessian. So I'm go- what I'm going to have to fucking do now <laughs> is completely empty the fucking pond, <laughs> repot everything with hessian, and then clean all the sludge and shit out of the bottom of the pond and start all over again. Oh, my God. So... Anyone into anyone into fish husbandry? Give us a shout on Discord. Give me any tips. <sighs> if you could have told me about the Hessian thing before. Just fill that, it with fucking hardcore. <laughs> fucking be, be done with it. <laughs> it. I cannot believe how much fucking hassle it's been. I genuinely cannot believe how much hassle it's been. The other shit thing as well is the fucking... The pond shelves, they're at an angle. 
So the fucking plant pots just about stay on. So like there's a brief <laughs> gust of wind or a, say I get a small fish eventually. Mm. Um, it, it, as soon as it wafts its tail in its direction, all the pond plants are just going to fall into the fucking pond. So <sighs> fail to prepare. <laughs> Prepare to fail. I read loads <laughs> of stuff. Obviously, I haven't read enough. You haven't, read, you haven't uh, done your research, have you? I read loads as well. You know, rather so, than blaming DPD so in your pond baskets. I think what we need to do is start an Amish Matt fish husbandry. Um, Facebook group? No, on the Discord. <laughs> I, want, right. I want an extra, what's it called? Tab. A thread. Thread. Yeah. Uh, fish husbandry. Amish Matt in brackets. Um, right. So anyone... Anyway, it's a pond. It's not an indoor tank, so there are some differences. Mm. Um, so anybody who's uh, who husbands um, outdoors fishes um, and knows how to put plants in, um, I would have thought. I would have thought it was so much more simple. I thought you just uh, pond liner. Water in, fish in. The plants will just they'll just turn up. They'll just seed themselves. Well, my wife. I she I said I planted the seed of getting a pond, and then she bought without sort of much um, consultation, just bought a hard plastic pond liner, which in you know kind of made sense. Um, but it has been a right ball ache. <laughs> it has taken over my life. Well, at least it can and be it's tiny. <laughs> How big is it? It's this big. It's about this big. So about three foot by about two foot. And it's like a Nine, kidney shape. 900 by 600 millennials. Yeah. Um, and about a foot deep. So. 300 mil. And it was overflowing this morning because it's rained so much. <laughs> so I had to fucking bail it out. Because you've put, <laughs> is, it, is that because you've put too much water in? <laughs> no. Oh. I left a fucking like an inch. It's rained an inch. An inch? Yeah. Nah, you need to leave more, surely. No, because then they've been, I don't know, probably. I don't fucking know what I'm doing, do I? <laughs> Surely that's the first thing you can find out is how how high do you fill the all the way thing. to the rim? Well, it's fish, isn't it? Fill the way to the rim. Why wouldn't you fill it all the way to the because rim? Because as soon as it rains, it's going to overflow. Well, I left an inch, like I said. Yeah, that's not. And enough. it's not. It's not. Obviously, you know, it's not enough because it's overflown already. And plus, you know, it's quite level, but not perfectly level. So it's oh. an inch at one side, <laughs> and then six inch at the other. <laughs> With that, that bad book. <laughs> It's about a centimetre at the other. <laughs> but this morning it was over. It was at the rim on one side and about an inch on the other. And then on on, on the side of it, like two inches, and then the other side, a centimetre. So, you know, it's it's uneven both on both planes. Have you got a, an eye, your eye on any particular breed of fish? I haven't got a fucking clue. I'm going to go to the, the fish place and say, I've got this shitty tiny pond. What fish can you get? Rick Petware. He's Rick Petware. <laughs> Rick Petware from Petware. Where's that? In uh, I think it's in Rivelton, isn't it? Pet oh, shop. I don't know. No. So uh, he follows us on Facebook. All right. Well, I'll go down there then. Yeah. I think it might be short. I don't know if he's reopened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's reopened because he had to shut for the. Well, you know the. Uh, I think the other thing as well is you you have to get fish that have been living outside, not ones that have been in inside. So if he has an outdoor area to his fish. No, I was just thinking, pick his brains. 
Oh, well, it's a bit late now, isn't it? I've fucking finished it. I've just yeah, got to empty fish. it all. Got to empty it all. Oh, in terms of fish. Yeah. I'm going to go and ask the man where I've been going who've been pretty useless. He's been so good so far. He's been absolutely useless. Where have you been going? Don't know. <laughs> <name laughs> now I'm going to say, no. What do you mean, a supplier or something? Where you've been buying your stuff from? Or someone, uh, like I, someone I, who's I've, been advising you? I don't think he's been... And really having a right laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I just think um, <laughs> I haven't been asking the right questions. Maybe. Oh, it's your fault, yeah. Yeah, I'll take so. the blame. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, so, you know, if anyone's wants to uh, hook me up with some... My dad uh, had a pond where you're fishing. A pond? Yeah, in back garden. Did he? Yeah. I don't remember him having a pond. Yeah, in a rockery. Did he? Yeah. It's uh, dry now. He filled it with, when we had the kids. But he had fish in there. Is that post-childhood? I don't remember one being there in childhood. Um, we were kids when he did the rockery, I would say, in the teenagers. Oh, right, okay. I never noticed a pond in his back garden. Yeah, it's not there now. Near the near the house. Right, no. Where no, the slope, I don't where re- the slope is. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't ever remember the... I remember pond. him building the rockery with fucking... He got a cement mixer and... <laughs> yeah, slugging boulders about... Right. Yeah, I've not done that. I've just smashed up a load of uh, stone paving slabs. <laughs> it looks awful. <laughs> I don't imagine so, yeah. It does, it's concrete. Yeah. Well, no, they're not they're stone. Oh, it's, are they? It's stone. Yes, but I've got... Right. I collected up some bit, uh, bits of stone from around my garden, and that bit looked all right, but then I've got some, and they're a bit regular from my mum's house like Indian stone <laughs> and then I've smashed them up a bit and they look even worse I, th- I don't know if it's because they're not weathered the same did you find stones buried in your garden yeah there's loads yeah. I did when I took our lawn up there's stones fucking everywhere yeah so stones and um, lots of well we've got a huge not a huge we've got a patio with huge flagstones um, and some of them are like four inches thick and what they've done to kind of terrace it is they've stacked up stone flags as like a wall, and then I assume they've backfilled it and then flagged over the top. I found a lot of painted stones. Oh, sexy. Yeah, a lot of stones around the edge of our garden were painted white. Oh, it's a landing On the ship. top. Yeah. yeah, they'd used it as like a border to mark out their... Uh, nice. Yeah, a bit like the Nazca lines. <laughs> Yeah, that's how they made the Nazca lines, you know. Wow. Um, like, it's all like, it's like flat and like, it's just full of stones mm-hmm. of various sizes. And the sun has sort of um, died, is the wrong word. Bleached. Bleached, Bleached all the stones mm-hmm. on the top, on one side. So when they made the Nazca lines, they were essentially... To turn them over. Turn them over. Oh, okay. And then uh, the uh, they made sort of ridges piles if you like around the edges down the sides of each nazca line to, mm. to sort of accentuate it mm. it's quite uh, i read a book about it this year about the nazca lines lots of different theories about why they did it and how they did it and uh yeah it's uh you can't see them from the ground a lot of them right. There's a, it's a myth that you have to go up in an airplane to look down at them you know yeah. the man with his cock out and the fucking hummingbird and the spider and whatnot um, but the, the glyphs, the geoglyphs, the anthropomorphic shapes are usually quite small. Right. Smaller than you think. The uh, the big things are they're like the these massive trapezoids and yeah. uh, it's like 
four-sided shapes and lines that go on for like a fucking kilometer it's mental it's like uh, trying to get the your head around why they did it there's some sort of was there some sort of ritual element to it or what and it's on this plateau there's fucking nothing there <laughs> like, it's no well you, you know. would think it was uh, <coughs> quite often it's like being closer to god isn't it when you're going up into the mountains and stuff i don't know yeah it's a weird one it's uh, it's an enigma there was a firm, uh, a German woman who who, set, who, set, uh, who uh, moved there, and she became like the queen of Nazca. Okay. She spent her whole life there right. studying, yeah. and her big thing was astro, astrological connections and stuff. Yeah, and she was seen as like the the doyen of is doyen is that the right term? So. You know, the sort of the person to go to if you want to learn about the the lines and why they were built and who built them and you know mm. what method and whatnot. Uh, she's died now because uh, uh, she lived there since she was in her 80s right. and she was uh, up on the pamper they call it the pamper okay that's like the plateau where they all all are and she was up there every day mm. with her notebook taking measurements fucking taking names <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure it all out her whole life's work yeah it's funny how some people just get bitten by something and uh you know, no family, no husband, nothing. Just, just dedicated her entire life to try and figure out this riddle, this enigma. Probably autistic. Possibly, yeah. Not why we say that. Um, just be, because she got obsessed by it. She might not have been. Is it? Uh, is problem solving like a, a common Can be. trope? Just obsessions, really. It can be anything, can it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, can guess get into something. That's why sort of narrow field, you know. And if you <clears throat> make it less likely that she would feel comfortable at having relationships as well, potentially, she still might might want to have them, but just not be very successful in them. Right. Yeah, because your focus is elsewhere. Mm. Yeah, but you know, don't want to tell anybody's experience. Yeah. I think it's. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's uncommon. I think a lot of people get obsessed with a certain thing. I think it's unusual when it lasts for your entire life like that to the sort of yeah, not detriment because she loved it. Mm. You know, that's what she. It's not a detriment, and it was a life. Who am I to say that's that's not a life well spent doing something like that? She's added no. to our understanding. I mean, the author of the book sort of wasn't with her on a lot of her ideas about why this this mm. thing exists but so what you know yeah exactly he was the author was trying to put forward all sorts of more prosaic explanations for different things and a bit dull it was dull and uh sort of a bit i think we have this propensity don't we so well not we we and not me but Particularly modern science has this propensity to look for the most prosaic explanation and back that. Mm. We won't take any nonsense. <laughs> we won't entertain any woo. Exactly, yeah. It's the most pra- prosaic explanation or nothing. Mm. We won't entertain any possibility of something that fa- falls you know, beyond the realms of our worldview. Mm. And yeah, it's fucking dull. So, <laughs> Isn't it? It is. It's yeah. dull, listeners. Yeah. Right, okay. Should we fuck off into the night? Yeah, I'm going to get home quite on time. Good. Be able to kiss goodnight to my wife. 
or she tells me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> right then, we'll sign off for this week. I uh, don't know who we've got next week. I do. I don't say who we've got next week. <laughs> you jinx it, won't you? Yeah, I thought I think we should stop. I don't think we should bother saying who's on next yeah, week fuck anymore. It. Fuck them. <laughs> if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Disqualified. <laughs> Come here, goose, you big communist. I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am fucking vegan. Moth cells. Well, the thing is, what you do, you call between the devil and the rock at a half place. Fuck off. This is such a crack of feces. Shit. I can't save you if you're not wearing a face mask. Fuck off. Show me what you got. I got Harry. Come on. literally a... Oh. I think you're hitting, hitting the point, Phil, that, uh... Like a judgment day and terminating mode, like... Anal swap test. Yeah.